Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. Look, you really respect another person when you don't try and do their work for them. It's kind of arrogant, don't you think, to try and move in and do somebody's work for them. I mean, who am I to do that? You've got to... And who to, are they to ask you to do that? Yeah, it isn't, right. it isn't my job. Yeah. And it's disrespectful. It means that I don't think your soul is really that bitch, and if I think I can come in and just <laughs> feng shui it, sweet it. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about She's Your Cocaine, the eighth track from Tori's fourth album from the Choir Girl Hotel. Hi, David. Hey, Eve. Since this is the eighth track from Tori's fourth album, does that mean that She's Your Cocaine in itself is two times as powerful as Choir Girl as a whole? Please don't ask me to do math right now. <laughs> That's kind of how I passed every math class I ever took. I'm like, I don't know. Sounds right to me. <laughs> Fine, I guess. Yeah. How you been? I've been pretty well. I'm going to tell you something, though. You're my cocaine, and I'm ready to party because <laughs> I feel like tracks five through seven were kind of rough. We got into some deep, dark stuff, so I'm ready like to do a bump and get wild. What do you think? Yeah, let's get wild. Let's you get know, wild. I have longed for someone to tell me that I'm like drugs to them. <laughs> oh, I would have done it sooner because it's always oh. been true. I just didn't know you needed to hear it. Oh, yeah, I needed to hear it. Yeah. I needed someone to say, you make me want to stay up all night and just like rage. I think that's a lesson to us all. If someone is your drug, make sure that they know it. Make sure you say it. Don't just assume that they know. <laughs> Don't assume but I actually have made men stay up all night in rage. Have you? So, <laughs> technically enraged. That's my special gift. I am their cocaine. Uh. Has your life changed at all since we had all the women in the studio? It has in the sense that I feel like I've increased my network of lady friends. You know how like the Hollywood Walk of Fame has people's handprints uh-huh. in cement? I would like to do that in the studio with every woman that passes through these halls but have like boob prints in the walls. Oh, I thought you were going to say they left handprints on your heart. That's what I meant. Yeah. Or something <laughs> poetic like we looked back at the line by line. There was only one set of footprints and it was them that Laura Crumb carried us. I mean, that's all true. But also boobs. You should have a wall of breast prints. Uh-huh. Has anyone ever done that before? No, that's a completely unique idea. No, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge from Fleabag has a wall of dicks in her house. Oh my god, I love her. I know, goals. It's, uh, you know, a prop from the show, but she had it installed. <laughs> <laughs> that's a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, she's your cocaine, huh? Yeah. Thoughts? You know what? I'm going to tell you something about my quarantine life that's going to seem irrelevant, but don't you worry. I'm going to bring it home, all right? 
my comfort food during this whole thing, aside from comfort food, <laughs> has been a lot of game shows from the 1970s, primarily Match Game. So my cultural touchstones and references continue to be timeless and topical. But watching shows from the 70s, I'm just kind of bowled over by how unattractive and horribly dressed everyone was at the time, but they were like really <laughs> aggressively horny about it. There was just like a big dick energy about everyone. And that reminds me of She's Your Cocaine. I could see it as sort of being grounded in Tory 70s influences like Bowie and Led Zeppelin. It's kind of intentionally ugly, but it comes out swinging with that BDE. So <laughs> what do <Yeah>. you think? <laughs> when I received my costume history minor in undergraduate school, mm-hmm. I learned something in costume history called the concept of beauty, which is like you have to judge people by the age that they are in, the time that they are in. So like you can't go into the Renaissance period and see everybody in their giant dresses and assume like that we're going to find that attractive today. Right. Or if you took us and transplanted us in Georgian times, we would be scandalous and very ugly. But like the 70s to me is really sexy. Like how horribly dressed you say, but I think the fashion was on point. And like the mustaches and like the big flop hair. I loved it. Take me back there, daddy. I just realized I was kind of gritting my teeth and wrinkling up my nose as you were saying that. That's okay. We can all, you know, we, can have, we can have different taste. I kind of get what you're saying, but like brown and orange, everyone wearing caftans and moo-moos. I don't get how anyone ever thought that that was a good idea. Oh, it was hot. I'll rock a caftan any day. Peter yeah. taught me that. But these hairy men with their big sideburns. Yes, I'm into it. Are you? <laughs> I can only picture She's Your Cocaine with giant, enormous sideburns now. Which is weird because She's Your Cocaine is definitely a lady because Tori talks a lot about like reptilian <laughs> vaginas and all kinds of stuff. So I guess you've got a, a lizard vagina with sideburns. Speaking of a lizard vagina with sideburns, I want to get this on the table right away, David. Do you know this song is known in the industry as being the ballad of Trent and Courtney? What? To the whole industry? All industry. <laughs> Film, television, music. Wow. According to Cream Magazine, the Australian magazine, in June, July 2005, and I just want to get this out right away here in Act 1 before we go any further, Antonella Gambato-Burke writes, rumored to have had an intense and ultimately bitter relationship with Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, Amos is reluctant to elaborate. Her only number one hit single on the European Billboard charts was the dance remix of Professional Widow said to be about Courtney Love, and She's Your Cocaine is known in the industry as the ballad of Trent and Courtney. In 1998, she said, I haven't quite figured out if the girl singing is really pissed off that she isn't special anymore, or if she is just horrified that she put this guy on a pedestal and he's chosen this black hole. Reznor was more direct. He said, other people put their fingers in the pie and they kind of messed up a friendship. We're not that close now. Some malicious meddling on the part of Courtney Love, but I still feel the same feelings for Tori. Amos rolls her eyes when Reznor's name is mentioned, eager to return to the subject of her husband. Wow. <laughs> Just lay it all out there, huh? Yeah, I like that Trent is kind of generous and says, I still have the same feelings for Tori, and she just rolls her eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I would too. Same, I get it, Tori. Talk is cheap. Should we call up Antonella Gambato-Burke to find out more information on Um, this interview? Who could resist? Well, we have tracked her down, so that's coming up. 
I will say along with Raspberry Swirl, I think these are the two attempts on this album for Tori to kind of let her hair down and have fun. Take it down, girl. Get it down. Yeah. I love She's Your Cocaine. There's something really dirty about She's Your Cocaine, like gritty. It's a very real song. It's like in the moment. When they list Steve Caton as playing not guitars, but they list him as Big Rock with a capital R and a little case R. Mm -hmm. Big Rock. I think that that says it all. Like they wanted to rock out. They wanted to be a band and they wanted to have just dirty band fun you're right it's loose it's dirty and we get that right away with the uh when the song starts and then of course the cut it again at the end but we'll get there i'm thrilled to be talking about this song because i've always said that i love when she gets dirty when she gets hard when there's a beat you know there's something that pleases me there there's something that delights me when she goes wild where it's like there's all this noise but at the center of it all is this woman in a piano i love that idea like she's in control of this massive thing and so I, I adore She's Your Cocaine. I'm going to ask you a personal question now. Have you ever done cocaine? No. Oh, David. I'm, why are you so disappointed? Like, I can't keep up, depending on who's asking me the question. If my parents were to ask me that, they would be pleased. You're disappointed. It's too much for me. I can't make anybody well, happy. I need to know what the cocaine experience is like, because I never in my entire life have done cocaine. Do you think Tori intentionally chose cocaine as opposed to some other illicit substance because it screams kind of 70s, 80s? Yes. As opposed to what? What was popular in the 90s? Heroin. She's your Molly. That doesn't slap as hard, David. No, it doesn't. She's your heroin. She's your crack. She's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That could be misinterpreted, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, should we get this party started? Let's do it. All right. I feel the beat. I'm, I'm getting ready. Do you feel yourself tingling already? Mm-hmm. I'm numb from the waist down. Should we talk about our guests? Who did we invite to this party? Well, for us, four women just wasn't enough, so we brought in five more women today to discuss She's Your Cocaine. We won't rest until we have all the women. We have two She's Your Cocaine super fans. We have Abby Stevens and Marla Darling Mm. here to talk about what they love about cocaine and She's Your Cocaine. We also have two sisters here to play our new game show, Bring Your Sister If You Can Handle It. Mm. That's Shay Stymack and Lynn Nettleton. Sister my Shayster. And last but certainly not least, we have acclaimed author and journalist Antonella Gambato-Burke. She is the author of several books on sex, death, and motherhood, all of our favorite topics. She also wrote the article we read from earlier, which describes She's Your Cocaine as the ballad of Trent and Courtney. And we're going to get to the bottom of it, David. I got to get my investigative journalism hat on. Mm, I have my magnifying glass. I don't look good in hats. (laughs) I think you look great. We'd also like to say thank you to Shay Stymack, who put together our show notes for this episode. You want to take a stab at it? So I'll so start with... Shay's your cocaine? I'll start, yes. I was going to say I'll start with the obvious and then let you work your magic as you always do with Shay's your cocaine. <laughs> Shay's got you shaving your legs. I think you should shame me once and do it again. <laughs> Shay says, control me. Then Shay says, don't control me. (laughs) It's the way Shay makes you crawl. This one lends itself really nicely. Also, live section notes provided by James. Wow, James. We got to do better than that for James. (laughs) James, 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 James. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Should we talk about our Patreon supporters? Who they and where they at? First, we have Aaron Marie. Aaron is Karen. She's your co-Karen. Boom. 
Erin Marie actually joined us for our last Zoom live watch party. Should we do that again, David? Yeah, I think we should. I've been thinking about that recently, actually. We'll talk about it. Dot, dot, dot. I want a strange little girl show. Strange little Zoom. Sounds strange. <laughs> We'd also like to welcome new patron supporter, Jeremy Culver. Jeremy Culver. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> go. Shauna Lent or Shanna. I would never give up Shauna for Lent. And last but not least, Gavin Schwartz. Welcome to the family, y'all. May the Schwartz be with you. And also with you. (laughs) Thanks to all our new Patreon supporters, all our past and current Patreon supporters. We couldn't, shouldn't, and wouldn't do it without you. You're our cocaine. Well, let's get to it. This is a cover of She's Your Cocaina by Saint Eve. This cover actually appeared on the Songs of a Goddess tribute album, a tribute to Tori Amos that was released in like early aughts. Do you remember that one? How could I forget a name like Songs of a Goddess? Songs of a Goddess. This is Saint Eve with She's Your Cocaine. We'll be right back. grab me by the hand and say, you know, you can't understand this on an ABC level. You need to understand it through metaphor. And so a lot of times, you know, they'll grab me through a different rabbit hole. And all of a sudden, it it becomes like parables. You know, the songs become, characters come alive, and I can deal with something that's going on in my life because feelings take on... Um, personas and that's really what the work becomes it, like a little um, tiny mythology of people that we've never heard of before do you remember the first time you heard this song David I do um, I think I've mentioned this on the show before for some reason this album was kind of leaking piecemeal at the time and we never got the whole thing prior to release but for some reason I did end up with an mp3 one of them newfangled mp3s of she's your cocaine how many days did it take you to download how many days probably two yeah I remember not being shocked by it because I don't think that it's too far off from a god with the squealing guitars but it did have a different energy about it particularly from the other songs that we'd already heard so what about you i honestly cannot recall the first time i heard it Mm. i really don't remember i'm assuming it was the day that i listened to the album for the first time yeah that's the sign um, of a good binge you don't even remember i was just in it i was in it not trying to form memories just trying to be in the moment Mm -hmm, david mm -hmm. well how about i didn't know i was going to be doing this show 22 years later (laughs) what would you have done differently i would have written it in my diary and i i mean journal excuse me (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, I imagine uh, like a little heart lock on the front of a diary. Weren't you keeping a journal though? Uh, you were just writing about everything but Tori, which I find very hard to believe, by the way. No, I was keeping a journal. The journal that I have that I have just unearthed was not from that time period, but I know that I was keeping a journal when I listened to this record. I'll try to find it. You think it was like, dear journal, I did cocaine for the first time today. Just kidding. I listened to She's Your She's Cocaine. She's Your Cocaine. Probably. If I know me. <laughs> She's Your Cocaine appears on From the Choir Girl Hotel, released May 4th, 1998 in the UK, May 5th, 1998 in the United States. Nine years later, it'll make an appearance on Seven Legs and Boots. That's Detroit, Pittsburgh, Chicago, West Palm Beach, Dallas, Vancouver, and San Diego. That is it, David. That is next to nothing, at least by Tory standards. Literally. You know what? I kind of approve of it. Like a good party girl, she knew when her time was. She came out hard. She did it right. And then she kind of retired. Yeah. Went into rehab. Yeah, we call maybe. It. Maybe that's what it is. I think you're right. But we'll always have the memory mm. of She's Your Cocaine and her peak in 1998, the way she would want to be remembered, I think. <laughs> Do you know when that person that comes to the party, that actually comes to the party, that's really annoying and is like really wild and like you know they're on something and everybody else at the house is not and you're just like will she leave already julia no i don't does that mean it's me no have you ever come in while taking your top off <laughs> no i'm always trying to put more clothes on well, that's fun party yeah no where's worries. the sweater bin so i can put some more on oh you guys come over let's play dress poker we're gonna get so layered oh my god <laughs> bring your sweater if you can handle it drums by matt Big Rock by Caton, bass by George, Bozy, Mellotron Flute, Weird Sounds, and Vocal by Tori Amos. That's as it's listed in the book. Do you want to talk about Danny Sniglu? No, I don't, because I don't know who that is, but I guess we can. We have to talk about Danny Sniglu. So on some websites in this world lists Tori Amos is playing left-hand boozy and Danny Sniglu sample on this song, but we could not find a source for that. Mm. We could not find, except for websites stealing from each other no. and posting what the other websites said. What if Tori calls her left hand Danny Sniglu? What would be the right hand? Manny Sniglu? Manny Sniglu, yeah, or Mary Sniglu. Yeah, so Danny Sniglu sample on this song, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Can we just point out too that finally when we get to track eight, we can feel comfortable being on a first name basis with all these musicians? Drums, it's Matt. Yeah. Everyone except Tori herself, who's still credited as Tori Amos, I guess she's like, you will respect me. <laughs> Tori Amos, we speak your name. <laughs> yeah, we speak your name, Tori Amos. Should we get into these quotes? Let's quote it. From Music Week, April 11th, 1998, she says, My drummer, Matt Chamberlain, just has a psychic way of hearing music, and we cut live on every song except Jackie's Strength. We would look at each other, and he would push something, and I would pull back. It was more like a conversation. Ian Stanley adds, Tori has played with a lot of people, but this was something completely different. She would do a song Matt hadn't heard, and he would play, and that would be the take. It was amazing. That is amazing. And can I tell you that I've actually witnessed that firsthand? Tell me. Well, I'm sure like we've seen some version of that when Matt's playing with Tori live and they're kind of jamming or whatever. But I saw Garbage perform when Butch Vig was on leave and Matt Chamberlain was filling in on drums. It was kind of a last minute emergency thing and they'd had no rehearsal time. Really, they just kind of threw him in there. And at one point, they launched into kind of an obscure B-side that he'd never heard before. And they were like, just play. You'll figure it out. 
out. And he totally did. Even the bridge, there was like a fill. And Shirley Manson said something during the song. She was like, oh, my God, you're so good. You're so good. But it really is kind of amazing. He's just kind of like, whatever. I can accompany you and drive this entire song, which I've never heard before. Well, if Ian Stanley says it, we all know it's true because he's listed in the credits as being the top geezer. Not the bottom geezer, not a middle geezer, no. but the top geezer. He's a top bunk geezer. Big spoon geezer. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you read this quote from the New York Times, April 23rd, 1998. There's a thread of my life running through the songs, but it's a tiny little thread. The songs never let me forget that. They let me know as if they're saying, we live and breathe and exist, and you just happen to see us because of something that was happening in your life at the time. They say, Tori, it's not just about you. And humbly I say, oh, thank you, you who is the song. You can be anybody or anything in a song. Nobody controls what your relationship is in a song or who you are in it. And nobody owns it. I'm a literary hooker. I will sit there and hang out with somebody just to see, okay, is there a reflection of them in me? Or are we adversaries? As a person, I don't like confronting people. I'll do anything to not confront a situation. But as a writer, I'll confront Mother Teresa if the songs are taking me there. One song, She's Your Cocaine, puzzles over a man's attraction to a woman who will destroy him. I've seen myself become quite angry because somebody that I love has been dragged through the streets emotionally. A vicious narcissist is hard for me to take, but a yummy narcissist? Are you kidding? You're talking to one. Oh, yes. Yummy narcissist. Mm. I think it's interesting that we kind of cited Raspberry Swirl as the other example of Tori kind of cutting loose and having fun on this album. And I think there's some overlap with the subject matter, too. You know, Raspberry Swirl is about the men in her friends' lives not being able to kind of fulfill their needs or give them what they want and maybe even not treating them well. And here we have the male version of that who's being seduced by a toxic woman, don't you think? Yeah, you're right. This kind of gives a peek into what she your cocaine is about where she says one song she's your cocaine puzzles over a man's attraction to a woman who will destroy him and it's interesting the way we get into those relationships like her female friends get into relationships where their needs aren't met and her male friends are getting into relationships where their needs maybe are met by a toxic person like your Mm. needs are so met that you fail to see that this person is a snake is she talking about courtney love It's very possible. I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least a thread of that in this song for sure. No, that's interesting when you think like someone that you cared about or someone that you had feelings for is now with someone that is just so different than you, you know, or just so like, and yes, we all judge each other. And yes, we judge our ex's new flames, I guess. Do you find that to be true? Yeah. You know, maybe she's just pieces of me he's never seen. Only she's a reptile. (laughs) Maybe she's the reptilian pieces of me you've never seen. Yeah. What do you think a yummy narcissist is? Someone who's aware of their narcissism, so they're giving themselves an out somehow. I don't know. It's like, I'm obsessed with myself, (laughs) but I know it, so it's okay. I'm obsessed with myself, but I'm not going to hurt you. Yeah. This is from Attitude, May 1998. Tell me about She's Your Cocaine. It reminds me of Heart Attack at 23 from your Why Can't Tori Read days. Really? You know, I think it is a reference to my rock chick days, but realized in a different way. There are three characters in that song. A he and a she and the girl singing it. I haven't quite figured out if the girl singing it is really pissed off that she isn't special anymore or if she's just horrified that she put this guy on a pedestal and he's now chosen this thing. This girl who wouldn't even be led into a real girl's party. This black hole of nebulae. 
That isn't very sisterly of you. I think your own sex can see your sex for what it is. You know the tricks of your own sex. Sometimes you can put your little play glasses on and not want to see them. But I know when another woman is flirting with one of my crew, it's so obvious and yet they can't see it. They say, oh, she's so pained or she's had all this stuff happen to her. I know a girl like this who uses her victimness to make people feel they can't do enough for her, that nothing is ever enough. And you're like an addict. You can't spill enough blood. You can't wrap your dick into 17 different little shapes, you know, like those balloons. Here, look, puppy, ice cream truck. This song is my revenge. <laughs> Another possible reference to Courtney Love, her victimness. She's so pained. Mm, so pained. And apparently she has a way of inserting herself into situations where she has no business. I recall her throwing her shoe or her compact at Madonna to get into that interview. That's remember right. On TV? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Let me in, Madonna. Uh. <laughs> That was a classic moment, which I happened to see live, and I knew I was seeing history in the making. And Madonna's so perfectly quaffed with her hair, like, yes. oh, dear God. You know you're in trouble when Madonna is like the poised lady. <laughs> right. But whether or not this song is entirely about Courtney Love, no, no Tori Amos song is entirely about one thing, right? No, never. So whether you're Team Courtney or Team some other snake, <laughs> it seems to be about a very specific woman, though. Raspberry Swirl also seems to be about a very specific man. Maybe it's like an amalgam of all the other other men but like it was set off by a specific man right it has to have been. um so i feel like this song as well has to have been set off by a specific woman and she specifically mentions flirting with one of my crew so i wonder who on her crew had the snake woman i don't know what if the snake woman is a fan who was sniffing around the shows oh yeah you're right when someone's flirting like backstage yeah. when they come backstage you can tell someone using their victimness oh yes. is this about me oh and what if she's the same character who's pretending to be a virgin to get backstage and That's Jackie's strength. Were you fooling anyone though? No. I didn't think so. <laughs> Just my parents. Yeah. <laughs> God bless them. How can we gloss over this reference to twisting your dick into 17 different little shapes like balloons? I've seen puppetry of the penis. I love that the reporter though is like, I'm going to get her with this YKTR question. Yeah. She's going to know I'm a real fan. She's going to take me on the road. Yeah. Do you think Tori received that well? I feel like at this point it was a still a little too close to that album to have your recent work compared to anything from Why Can't Tori Read, especially Heart Attack at 23. Especially when you're with a band, when you are like trying with a band for real. Yes. It says really and then laughs in parentheses, but do we imagine that there was like some kind of maniacal, I'm going to get you for that <laughs> tone behind the yeah. laugh? <laughs> yeah. Reading through this quote, though, it's becoming clear to me that, you know, we always kind of go back to the reputation Tori had in the media for being kind of a man hater. But to me, she's, mm. she's always been much more generous with men than women. She's really, really outspoken about, you know, the violence women can do to each other and in a song like this, kind of the role that the reptile women can play so it's kind of the exact opposite of how she's portrayed most of the time it's interesting too because it's not a song about how much of an idiot this man is it's a song about how much of a snake the woman is right so, yeah that's a good thank, point thank you <laughs> what do you say we keep following this down courtney road why don't you read this quote from minneapolis st paul city pages july 9th 1998 the buzz is that she's your cocaine is the ballad of trent and courtney She's in control, then she says to control her, then she said you're controlling the way she makes you crawl. But it's not going to settle for being a celebrity skin flick. For two minutes, the song is a murderous blue streak, banging and furious, noisier than anything we've heard in three and a half records. Then everything falls away. The multi-track guitars and bitch 
slap bass, the drums and the metallic digital whistle all yield. It's an area opened up within the body of the song and she invites you inside. Just a familiar piano and the voice gone from steering to direct. Suddenly in the first person, as close to plain speech as Tori Amos will ever come. If you want me to, boy, I could lie to you. You don't need one of these to let me inside of you. The moment for which we wonder what one of these might be is a brief one. And the boys cringe and the girls smile. All the depth that the romantic idea of inside always owes to the physical utterly paid. The abstraction collapses and we remember there's a real inside, that this belongs to the girls and everyone knows this is somewhere. I love that they say for three and a half records, nothing has popped as hard. So not since, what is that, Precious Things? Yeah, I guess so. Blood Roses, Professional Widow, I don't know. We could probably name a few things, but sure. Were we naive when we were younger? Because I'd never heard, until we started research for this episode, I never heard that this was the ballad of Trent and Courtney. I mean, I kind of guessed that there was some of that in there. Well, I was naive then, and apparently I'm naive now. I just can't get over that the entire industry was apparently a buzz. <laughs> Would we say this is really that thinly of a veiled song about Trent and Courtney specifically? I don't know. It takes so little to get the industry a buzz, you know. I guess for the sake of Tori, I have a hard time believing that she would still be that sort of pissed off about it following Boys for Paley that she had to write yet another song, but maybe. Or like, you know, we've kind of talked about there are always various narrative threads at play here and this might just be one. You're right. I think that maybe this is just a part of the song too because she did talk about people flirting with her crew and I don't I would be surprised to find out that Courtney ever flirted with Mark and Marcel you know Mm. or anybody on the crew but I want to ask you what do you think of this bit from the Atlantic Records promo bio from Choir Hotel in the promo bio it says that freedom revealed itself in a variety of ways each song would show me a certain side of herself because of what I was going through Tori says so a song like Cruel came to me out of my anger She's Your Cocaine and IIE came out of a sense of loss and sacrifice and other songs celebrated the fact that I had found a new appreciation for life through this loss. So loss and sacrifice, that's not where I would have thought that She's Your Cocaine came from. I would have guessed anger, right? Yeah, for sure. But that's interesting that she specifically mentions it alongside IIE and Cruel because we know that those songs were born during the Do Drop In Voice for Pele era. So we can sort of be led to believe that She's Your Cocaine was maybe orbiting at that point too. So maybe, you know, that would make sense as to why Courtney and Trent were more present or are more present in the song. Yeah, I was going to say that that answers your question about how, why the hell she's still talking about right. this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because she hasn't gotten it out. Yes, she hasn't gotten it out yet. And then she went on to have still other experiences or to observe other situations, maybe, that kind of fed into the story of the song. So I do understand, though, if you've cared about someone and your relationship has been decimated by another person, like, how do you not see what this person is, how that can stick with you, mm. you know? When someone that you consider to be a black hole of some kind Mm. or that you just have such a terrible relationship with in another way of saying that. So I understand why that would maybe stick with her a little. I'll say. And I mean, are we keeping a running tally of how many songs we think Courtney Love might appear? Because it kind of started with Mr. Zebra. We talked about her potentially being Mrs. Crocodile, right? Oh, yeah. Easy. Why don't you read this quote from Deluxe, May 1998? I'm vicious, but fair. I work myself into a frenzy sometimes. For She's Your Cocaine, I put on this tiny black bodysuit, jeans and high heels, got a margarita and walked outside for 30 minutes to drink tequila in Cornwall in the freezing November night. After a take, I'll get the guys a coffee and I'll say, the artist is on one today, isn't she? They often agree. 
This delights me. I love that she plays dress up for the song. Yes. It kind of just is like a precursor to Santa in a way, you know? It's like, I'm going to get that tequila and I'm going to splash it around Cornwall. And then I'm going to come on, she's your cocaine. Yes. Yeah, you know, Santa was born that night in November. I didn't even realize how closely our recording process mirrored Tori's. I'm sitting here in my tiny black bodysuit, jeans, and high heels. And I'm like, oh, Eve, the co-host is really on one today, isn't he? So you got the uniform I sent you. Uh Uh-huh, yes, thank you. Thank you for that. I just figured we needed to match. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about it in the primer a little bit where she was mentioning like playing dress up with the different songs and we even questioned, right? Like, does she mean it literally? And I think here it's very literal. Agreed. And you're so right that this is kind of a workshop of American Doll Posse because she says very similar things about some of the songs on that album, particularly where Santa's concerned. Perhaps this is why in Uncut Magazine, June 1998, in an article entitled, We Have Ways of Making You Talk, Nigel Williamson writes that Tori says the characters in the song are very different and the sound reflects that. She's Your Cocaine is a glam rock point of view. David, is a black bodysuit, jeans, and heels what you consider glam rock? Um, I don't know that I would consider that glam rock. I might consider it more (laughs) modern dance slash musical theater rehearsal rock. (laughs) You know I love a character shoe. You know when she's in that puddle, there's like a picture of her with like the long scarf and that like Led Zeppelin-y top in the puddle, kneeling in a puddle? Uh Uh-huh. That, to me, is glam rock. Yeah, that's glam that's rock. That's how she needs to record yeah. this song. Glam rock requires a thin, kind of translucent scarf for some reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what's interesting to me and what's peculiar to me, though, if you do a, a careful study of it, is why she has to always justify being the sex goddess or the sexy one, you know? Where it's like, okay, if this is a sexy song to her, if she thinks this is a sexy song, why does she need to get drunk? Why does she need to like put on this persona in order to attack it? That's actually really interesting. And I think at some point she said that Santa is the aspect of self that she least relates to, or that is the hardest for her to yeah. access. And I think that totally makes sense, yeah. given everything that we know about Tori. So you're right. To kind of slip into the sex goddess role, she has to actually put on a costume and uh, have a couple shots to start feeling it. I mean, don't get me wrong, a couple shots always helps. Sure. And back in the old days, before the end of days, when I would go out and try to seduce men, I might find a tequila in my hand, you know? Yeah, why not? No shame, no shame, no judgment. Mm-mm, shame you have none. I ain't got none. <laughs> um, this is from High Life. <laughs> is this the pot magazine? No, I think it's an airline magazine, but either way, it's kind of a strange fit. Can you imagine being on a British Airways flight, reading about She's Your Cocaine? Mm. May 1998. She, not being me, she being the one that he's obsessed about. And whatever we think of her is whatever we think of her. Probably we think about her in Cruel. The woman in the song that the man is obsessed with could be amazing, but equally, she could just be a black hole. Do you think Tori's trying to distract us by saying she, not me, definitely not being me? (laughs) I don't think so, because this is definitely a song about a woman's perspective on another woman. And I think Tori's very comfortable saying it's her perspective. There's a woman out there that she's judging. I agree. But if there's one thing we know about Tori, it's that she's cagey. And she'll often say, well, but you know, there's threads of me in every single one of these characters. Or I had to acknowledge that aspect of myself that could also be the reptile that had lured men into the cockpit. Mm. 
you're right. That sounds like a Tory quote. Are you Tory bot on Twitter? Uh, I could be. It's the one thing I'm qualified to do, I think. I disagree, David. I think you're also qualified to read this quote from the Philadelphia Inquirer, May 3rd, 1998. Okay, the idea of a series of songs with the same basic sound didn't appeal to me. The woman in She's Your Cocaine, which is about a reptile woman who has no fidelity to sisterhood, had to be distinct from the woman in Spark, who's addicted to nicotine patches. Well, we kind of assumed or decided that Tori is the woman who's addicted to nicotine patches and Spark, right? So is she trying to really distance mm-hmm. herself from this character sonically so that we don't make that mistake? Like, no, no, no. I'm the chicken Spark. Yeah. I'm not this reptile yeah. lady. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. Yes. Let's play this. This is from Modern Rock Live, May 10th, 1998. Newly digitized by Lisa Ridlon. What's this about? She's your cocaine. Interesting title. About um, me being really stroppy and um, vile because somebody uh, finds a woman that's a black hole that isn't a woman's woman interesting. You know, a lot of guys, and a lot of them are on my crew, they're like my brothers, and... um, it blows me away sometimes the women they're attracted to. Let's be honest here. The women they're attracted to, right? Me and Beanie, who's my best friend and Karen and Tim. We would never, like, even if they were crawling, we wouldn't give them the worm at the end of the tequila bottle. Forget it! They could beg, crawl, dog on your knees, hopefully lick the sand. They wouldn't get a chance. These girls, let me tell you something, they're not women. They have this little thing, this little beard between their legs, and they're snake, they're, they're reptilian. I don't want to hurt the poor snake life even, you know, right. it's, it's a cut to the snake world. But these girls, they're takers, and guys don't see it because they don't, you know, they don't come across. It's not like they sit there. They do their killing. Say we're eating dinner, right, and one of these girls at the table, and there's a big party of us. Some of these guys go, oh, isn't she the sweetest thing you've ever seen? And you're just going, she just murdered the girl next to you. The girl you brought is like a walking corpse because of this other girl. Like, over the head, they don't even get these slime walking. But it's on both sides. Smart women, foolish men, foolish choices. Yeah, but no, no, no. Smart men, foolish choices. Sorry, Max. I hate to bust your bubble, but men are obvious. I don't know men that are, they can't connive the same way. Let me tell you what the difference is. These women try to get in and act like they're your friend. They act like they're your best friend, so they find out all your secrets, they find out everything, and then they go to your man or to your other friends and just completely ruin your relationships with them. I'm telling you, Hmm. they are Lucifer. We have some issues here. Lucifer with boobs. I remember very clearly hearing this on the day that it aired. I remember listening to the radio, hearing this, probably taping it myself. This quote hit me to the core, and I really understood what she was saying. I think that's when I fell in love with the song. It's like I had this little piece of the song, you know, like a piece of understanding of it. Can I also just say, in terms of this quote, I think it's interesting that Tori chose to say Lucifer because up until this point, she was going out of her way to exhaustively kind of differentiate between Lucifer and Satan. And now I feel yeah. she's kind of undoing her own life's work by referring right. to women as Lucifer. <laughs> she messed up once. She was live in the radio. Yeah, well, we'll never forget it. 
This is from Really Deep Thoughts fanzine, spring 1998. This is an interview with Caitlin. Would you like to be Really Deep Thoughts, please? Yes, I would, RDT. Now that Tori produces her own stuff, does she say, hey, come play on my record? Does she already know what she wants from you? What's interesting is on Boys for Pele, the guys, Mark and Marcel, I'd never met them, and they did almost recorded the whole record before I got there. I like being one of the last people, unless I'm doing rhythm tracks with the band. I can tell what's going on with the song. That's the way I really create. I don't play guitar in a real traditional way. I am more of an arranger. They said that she stood over everybody who came in like a hawk, and when I played, she was gone. She always would come and listen when I had done, and if she didn't want it, I would do something else. Tori gives me as much time and freedom as I need, as much as it takes. That shows such respect for you and your judgment. That's true. There are other ways that I play. I can play a lot of different types of music, but there's always a certain thing that I gravitate towards. A lot of the things I do in Tori's music are not unlike what I do in my own band or solo stuff. That part of me, of my style, is right for her. Rather than being rhythm or a separate instrument, it's another voice. The thing with playing guitar is she covers a lot of the spectrum. She plays a lot of very unorthodox chord voices and things. You have to be very picky with your choices and what you do, and you certainly can't be busy. That's the real challenge. Technically, what I do with Tori isn't about technique. What I do with her is about making sensible choices for what she's doing. Otherwise, it's a mess. Mm. That was a terrible Caton impression. We should have just called up Caton and had him read his own quote. Yeah, we should have. <laughs> oh, damn. I do think this speaks to the powerful collaboration that Tori and Caton had, and especially coming off the Drop in tour where they played together so closely, I have to believe that she had the utmost trust in him, and she was willing to go get lunch and leave him alone in the studio and just come back and see what he was up to without having to breathe down his neck the entire time. This is the one person mm. it seems like, and maybe um, Phil Chanel, that she was willing to let go of control a little bit and put the reins down. Well, also, it's you have to think, too, as a producer, you have to give the artist what the artist needs to thrive. And if Caton, I can't imagine just from the one conversation, which was 24 hours long, that I had with Steve Caton, I can't imagine that he's the kind of person that you like have to watch over. Like He probably thrives better when he's left alone. Knowing that you can delete anything knowing that you don't have to put it in your track, right? Like, why not let him let him fly? Also, who works better when someone's staring at you the entire time? Doesn't everyone work better when they're left alone? <laughs> Let's hear more from Steve Caton. You get to be Steve this time. This is from Virtual Guitar, October 1999. What effects did you use on She's Your Cocaine on From the Choir Girl Hotel? And did it sound that much like a traditional rock song before you enhanced it? I believed I used a wah-wah and some delay. I'm okay. sorry, you used a wah-wah? A wah-wah. A what? Can I refill your glass of wah-wah? I believe I used a wah-wah and some delay. I tuned the guitar down to B, which became a big headache since I did not have any real heavy strings. I had to play incredibly light. Even so, the guitar would not stay in tune with the strings barely hanging on the neck like that. I originally played it in that normal octave, but it sounded terrible, extremely generic, and that would never do. The song itself was pretty much a basic rock and roll thing with some funny synthesizer in there. I added the little wah-wah intro to give it a bit more of a hook. Tori was in London when I recorded the song, so when I finished, I had to wait a day or so for her to return to get her reaction. I guess she liked it. So I guess he's comfortable with her leaving him alone. Like, I think he probably does thrive that way. Yeah, and listening to him talk in this much detail, I certainly get why he would sort of consider himself more of an arranger than just a player and i love mm -hmm. hearing how he really kind of dove in to the character of a song and was trying yeah. to craft unique yeah. sounds and that a couple times he's even had to convince tori of something that she wasn't right. so sold on at first so i love that i really wish he'd stop complaining about not having heavy enough strings though like what's the problem get in a van drive six hours to london pick up the strings drive six hours back it's fine i know calm down some people have real problems like an out-of-tune harpsichord <laughs> paul roy 
<laughs> David, do you want to read this bit from the Star Tribune, July 14th, 1998? I think that what happens in the songwriting, I'm much more honest than anywhere else, she said. That's how I kind of know what my feelings are about something. That's with all the songs. Even if I have violent feelings towards somebody, it's going to that place of, you don't have to tell this to anybody else. And of course, I realize once it gets on record that other people will hear that. But there is a <laughs> detachment in that. A lot of times, the person I've had the argument with, they might know, and we might kind of work through it, but my real feelings go into the song. Because some things you just can't say to anybody else. It's not like you're confused confessing or you want their approval or you want a conversation on it you need to get to a little fact place yourself where you stood on something that goes to what she says even as early as 1994 when charlie asks her on good morning america what her songs are about she's like i well that's why i write music because i really don't know how to say it any other way but no i can see her letting out her violent side she's done it before waitress right so this is a place where she can be free to express those thoughts she's not going to actually cut the woman to bits i hope yeah, for sure. And I think part of what makes Tori's music, of course, so powerful is that it's medicine for her first and foremost. And we just happen to get a little dose of whatever's left over. Music is where she goes to work through her own material. So Yeah, and she says here, we might kind of work through it, but my real feelings go into the song because some things you just can't say to anybody else. So like, what happens then if you work through it? So obviously her and Beanie reconciled, but there's still bells for her, right? As a testament to when they weren't reconciled or as a marker in time and she's your cocaine she may have reconciled with this person we don't know and this is a marker of that time though if it really is about courtney chances that they've reconciled after the song are slim to none yeah i can't imagine either one of them would have any interest in doing that and why they weren't like bffs at any point as far as we know imagine if it's all just a big con for the sake of the industry yeah. and the media this feud the feud that never took off <laughs> <laughs> the feud that everyone forgot, except for us. Yeah, seriously, still talking about it 20 some odd years later. The feud that we perpetuate. <laughs> We're doing it now. From Q Magazine, January 2004. Now, this is six years later. Saxon McLeod emails to say, in another interview, you mentioned meeting the devil in a South American ceremony. What did he have to say? And she says, he said a lot. He said, I needed to stop wasting my time with baby demons. Dark princes don't defecate on women. They've graduated from that that's interesting who are the baby demons she's talking about the little princes of darkness yes like trent reznor obviously yes. we're talking about yeah trent reznor right i hate yeah we can't escape it and i hate to keep bringing him up as the example but you know he's kind of the easiest target tori's all about like the shadow work and embracing the hidden and i think people who are trying too hard to be let's say scary for lack of a better word and dark in an obvious way those are like the baby demons i guess as opposed to people who are kind of authentically claiming their shadows side is how I feel like Tori would describe it. Well said, David. I like that her message isn't maybe don't waste your time with damaged people anymore. It's like, if you're going to go, go big. Don't waste your time with baby demons. Find a dark prince. Seriously, a prince of darkness, a real prince of darkness or a real dark prince, someone who has claimed their shadow side, who knows all sides of themselves. Like that, I can see being a really attractive person, a really protective person, a real a person you want to mess with. Someone that knows themselves is going to be a partner, I think. Yeah. Whereas someone who's just like, 
emulating that or trying to yeah you know what i'm saying there's something performative about it right as opposed to someone who's kind of sitting tall in everything that they are and they don't have to prove anything to anybody exactly it kind of reminds me of an old onion article the headline of which was something like marilyn manson now going door to door trying to scare people oh that's great (laughs) Uh i also am attracted to dark princes you know like are you you're probably not but i get like being attracted to the darker side or like the more intense guys and i've had that experience where I'm attracted to someone because of that dark side or because of their deep intensity. But it turns out that that deep intensity is an act. There's not much going on to them. Mm-hmm. And I have to believe that that's what she means here a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's where I can relate. No, I'm yeah. probably more attracted to the tragic clown where everything's okay on the surface, but underneath <laughs> there's turmoil. But that being said, if Dracula asked me out, I wouldn't say no. Who would? <laughs> so David, I'd love to see how people try to describe She's Your Cocaine. So here are some other quotes from around the internet mostly from reviews of the album. Are you ready? I am ready. So Beth Weingarner from the Addicted to Noise website, May 1998 says, Amos lets her bluesy side come through in the mind-bending She's Your Cocaine, a study on love's power structures. She says you control it. Then she says you don't control it. Then she says you're controlling the way she makes you crawl. Misquote. Amos Howells and her best PJ Harvey send up. This band is in full force here. Cocaine will make a great number to jam to when Amos takes it on the road. And it was. You guys, we could totally jam to this song. (laughs) You control it. You don't control it. You're too controlling. Just jam. (laughs) Do you feel like She's Your Cocaine has ever bent your mind? Every goddamn time. Every (laughs) single time. Gil Kaufman from SonicNet Music, April 10th, 1998, says, While no one would ever accuse her of playing it safe, Amos really cranks up the oddity factor on the pleading blues grind, She's Your Cocaine. The song, a sexy striptease funk tune, is a scramble of sexual ambiguity, voyeurism, and playful S&M references that further explores the singer's unique take on sexuality and relationships in the 90s. Mm, In the 90s? Can you imagine doing a striptease to She's Your Cocaine? cocaine no either can i yes yeah <laughs> i changed my answer yeah, what a roller coaster you wouldn't no it's kind of like too halting for me i need a steady beat i need like 90s hip-hop for my strip teases no glam rock for me in the middle of it all during the if you want me to boy i could lie to you it would turn into like a ballet strip yes <laughs> do a pirouette if you you could twirl your thin scarf in the air like a ribbon dancer that'd be lovely actually <laughs> yes it's a striptease with style. Yes, and class. Victoria Siegel from Enemy Magazine, May 3rd, 1998, says, At its best, on IIE and Cruel, she shows the illogic of an organic tricky, cracking open a chilled Martina Cool groove. At its worst, it's the self as show and tell, the messy splatter of seizure cocaine or liquid diamonds as irritating as an acid bath on a sunburn. Damn, Victoria. <laughs> Vicky. Damn, Vicky Siegel. Seriously. What do you I like the idea of a messy splatter, as you well know, but I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I would consider liquid diamonds a messy splatter. She's your cocaine. Yeah, maybe. Sure. But liquid diamonds, definitely not. Yeah. But it sounds like which I'm sort of taken aback by. She considers a messy splatter a negative thing. Right. I think that She's Your Cocaine is a messy splatter, and that's the joy of it. That's the beauty of the song. By design. Stephen Thompson from The Onion, sometime in 1998, said, For every Pandora's Aquarium, a lyrical journey into Amos's insufferably twee fairyland, and for every She's Your Cocaine, a shrill experiment that does not work, there's a handful
handful of gentle, lovely piano and string-driven songs like Jackie Strength and Northern Lad. Mm. We can't exist on Jackie and Lad alone, no. Stephen Thompson from The Onion. What do you have to say for yourself? Consider the source. This review is a joke. Good one. Good one, Stephen Thompson. Bojan Stephen and Natasa Malutina from Exit Magazine, printed by the Department of English Literature at the University of Novi Sad, Serbia, and Montenegro, describe seizure cocaine as... Nearly hysterical. Nearly. Not quite there. Nearly. No. <laughs> She's verging on hysterical. <laughs> I wouldn't consider this hysterical compared to some previous songs, but okay. Unless Wait. they mean, by hysterical, they mean hilarious. I don't know. Hysterical. <laughs> Get this, David. Someone from Focus on the Family, a.k.a. Family.org, you oh, know the, who I'm talking about, the Christian, right? This is going to be good. They said, on She's Your Cocaine, as the title suggests, a woman is compared to the white powder in a relatively positive context. Transsexual themes are also central, highlighting a quote-unquote boy who shaves his legs and wears makeup. On Choir Girl, Amos proves once again she means it. Distorted theology, emptiness, sexual innuendo, Christian bashing, all combined to make yet another disturbing Amos project to avoid. Wouldn't reading this review make you want to run out as quickly as possible to buy the album? It did. I wasn't a Tor Amos fan until I saw this. <laughs> Transsexual themes. You always go to focus on the family for your album reviews. I did try to go back on archive.org to actually find the review to find out who wrote it, but I couldn't find it. Oh, but this was archived on the dent. I long for the days when the Christian right would come for Tori. <laughs> They always gave us such good comedy. I know, me too. Especially some of the boys for Pele reviews were gold. And didn't they have Silent All These Years banned? They did in her grandma's hometown, I think. That right was so active. Not like today. I know. Quiet mice, that right. Nary a peep. <laughs> Sarah Vowell from Spin Magazine, June 1998, which, by the way, this article was sent to the den by one of our favorite patrons, Jason Silver. It's nice to know what Jason was up to 22 years ago. <laughs> Good to see you, Jason. Anyway, Sarah Val says, Maybe the gift of a Christian girlhood is also its chains. Sex has consequence, which is why Amos's love songs are always so fraught with danger. Because what's sexier than danger? Trust. <laughs> Trust. On From the Choir Girl Hotel, sex isn't so much a word as a sound. Slithering from the murky, trip-hopped-up cruel to the speaking-in-tongue-kisses funk of Raspberry Swirl, in which a male suitor is advised, if you want inside her, well, boy, you better make her raspberry swirl. And in this, the year that's turning into sex addiction's big moment in the sun, who can resist a lurching rocker called She's Your Cocaine? It's got everything you want from Tori. Devil references, an angelic bridge worthy of the choir girl the album title and that Amos trademark orgasmic shrieking that makes faking it sound like so much fun. Oh man, remember 1998 when we were all coming off our Titanic binge and then got addicted to sex? It was sex addiction's big moment in the sun. Ah, uh, finally sex addiction. <laughs> I'm always 22 years too late. Same, here I am with my sex addiction going at full blast and I'm hello? Hi? Hello? No? Okay. No one's picking up the phone. No, they sure aren't. <laughs> Guess it's me and me. <laughs> Let's hear from Michael Carley because we got 10 questions we have to ask him. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hey, Ethan. So good. How are you? I'm great. I heard you're on vacation. Believe it or not. You're in Cape Cod, so I have to ask, what do Cape Cod and She's Your Cocaine have in common? Oh, I mean, truly not much. It, that's really a cop-out, but truly not much. This is the 
whitest, straightest little place <laughs> on earth right now. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I guess 45 minutes away from Provincetown. I hope the boys in Provincetown are playing it. I mean, safely and respectfully at a distance from each other. But uh, <laughs> I think it belongs there and maybe not, not so much in Chatham. What makes She's Your Cocaine unique in Tori's catalog? Fucking rocker chick, Tori. <laughs> Is there another? I mean, maybe maybe down the line in Strange Little Girls. But really, like, this is the one. This is the eyeliners caked on really thick bar motorcycle bitch, Tori. Where is the best place on earth to listen to She's Your Cocaine? Oh, on the back of, like, my leather daddy's motorcycle. Who, Michael, would you say is your cocaine? <sighs> I think as I get older, it's unfortunately like a little 19-year-old. What does She's Your Cocaine's room at the Choir Girl Hotel look like? Um, red velvet and a really ratty, nasty, disgusting carpet, kind of like parquet pattern carpet, and some, uh, some broken glass in the bathroom. When was the last time you shaved your legs? God, uh, let's say like 12 years ago. I recently shaved my upper body for the first time, I guess, again, also in 12 years. It was a little kind of quarantine experiment, you know, knowing that if it goes wrong, no one's really going to see me. But I'm kind of into it, but I've left my hairy legs intact. When was the last time you shimmied once and did it again? <laughs> I guess certainly before this whole pit. We're going to have to say 2019, man. <laughs> Oh, God, let me shimmy. <laughs> Be honest, Michael, do you prefer She's Your Cocaine or Cocaine Classic? She's Your Cocaine. Did you hear about the cokehead that wooed me on Grinder? Which one? The one who got me with his pickup lines. <laughs> yeah, he has a way. Is there something that should you not be able to handle it, your response would be to bring your sister? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like a kind of confrontational disagreement with my parents. Where does the power in this song lie? Uh, the power in the song lies in one's self-awareness and like power and stance behind oneself, even in sight of the, uh, of the enemy. Well, Michael, are you back on Instagram yet? Can people follow you? I'm not back, but I mean, my the ghost of my profile is there, certainly. But twi- I'm on Twitter at Michael Carley. She's your cocaine. She's your cocaine. All right, we better make it good. The line by line has never been so aptly named. <laughs> so cocaine. She's your cocaine. She's your drug. She fuels you. She gets you high. Yes. And I guess there's something vaguely glamorous about her. I, I don't know why. Maybe my association with the 80s, I consider cocaine a vaguely glamorous drug. Oh, yeah. Like, less than zero. It was always associated with, like, the rich kids. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to remember Concept of Beauty and the progressive space we were all in mentally in the 90s. With my interpretation of cocaine, parts of the song can be viewed problematically, but I'm just going to say it. I take this to be a sign of emasculation. So, like, men have hairy legs, and she's got you shaving your legs. She's sort of stripping away your manhood slowly. That's how I take it. Or also that she has you doing whatever she wants you to do. Basically, like, you're at her command. Whatever she asks you to do, you'll do. I totally agree. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to use the word emasculation for sure, and there are further instances of that throughout the song. And that being said, I kind of tack on, you know, you can suck anything onto that 
sentiment as well. I was having a conversation with Lisa Ridlon about the song, actually, and she said her interpretation of this line is that there's a feminine persona within the man guiding him and that it's much more like a gender sort of mindfuck, this song. And so the feminine persona is guiding him towards shaving his legs, towards putting on makeup, things like that. What do you mean? I mean, I think that's kind of... What do you mean? (laughs) Well, let me draw you a picture. I just so happen to have one right here. (laughs) I think she's sort of putting the man in the traditionally more, let's say, feminine role. I don't know how you feel about that. So she's saying to the man, you can suck anything, but you know you want to be me? Yeah. I always took that as, that line's to the woman. Like, Tori says there's three characters in the song. There's the man, there's the woman, and then there's the woman singing to the woman. And she's telling the woman, you can suck anything you want in here. You can do this, you can do that, you can suck anything you want, but you'll never be me. I got my place here, I've got a purpose here, I have the respect of the man that you're trying to climb onto. You'll never be me. Yeah, you're right. Now that you say that, I totally see it. And maybe she's sort of shifting where she's throwing these verbal daggers. David. Yes. They're verbal bombs. I'm sorry. Let me start again. I think you're right. She's detonating her verbal bombs in different (laughs) directions. She's pulling the pin. Mm -hmm. So shaving your Mm -hmm. legs is directed at the man. And maybe you can suck anything is directed towards the reptilian woman. And you kind of laid the groundwork for that um, when we read that quote earlier where you said the only person she's kind of faulting here is the woman. Woman, not the man mm-hmm. in the situation so you can suck anything yes you're right i think she's launching that as the villain in this story i imagine this like as she's talked about being at a dinner party where like all these men are like looking at this woman <laughs> like isn't she great i imagine tori standing up grabbing her purse splashing her wine in the woman's face and saying to the man she's your cocaine she's got you shaving your legs you can suck anything but you'll never be me fuck you fuck you you're cool goodbye and you i'm not happy about you either Yeah, to the doorman Uh or to the person at the coat check. (laughs) He knows what he did. She grabs her mink, throws it around her shoulders, puts on her glasses and walks out. You think Tori wears a real fur coat? Only for this moment, Uh only to do that. I was picturing more, I'm out of this party. Hand me my leather jacket. Put on your makeup boy, I think, is another moment of emasculation, though we can take issue with it now in a modern context, but we don't need to. I used to wear makeup in high school. Did you paint your nails? I did. Of course I did. But I would paint my nails black and then I would chip the tips of them because I I hated the idea of like freshly painted nails. So I would always chip the tips of them. I felt like it gave them texture and it made me more interesting. I love it. I love how consistent you are in all of your sensibilities. You like your nails the same way you like your Tory. Give me some rough edges. Yeah. to me dirty and real. You know when someone assesses you and like nails it and you've never thought about yourself that way? Good one, David. (laughs) Yeah. So would we say that this song is a little problematic these days? 20 some odd years later? (laughs) Only if she knows this man to be a masculine man and now he's wearing makeup and he's shaving his legs and he's doing all of these things that make him a stranger to himself. That's what I think you're your favorite stranger is. Ah, I see. Like you don't even recognize yourself anymore. Yeah. Like you are different than you used to be because of her because this woman has come in and changed you. That's why I have to believe that whoever this reptilian woman is, she's kind of from the world of rock and roll, let's say, right? Is there anything less rock and roll than Mm. actually saying rock and roll? No. It's like calling yourself eccentric. I'm so weird. I'm so rock and roll. Can you believe it? I'm so weird. (laughs) I love that you brought up rock and roll, David, because if we take this line, put on your makeup, boy, you're your favorite stranger, 
who wears makeup during his Nine Inch Nail concert. Uh-huh. And he's a dark stranger whom we all like to watch. Well, there's a pretty obvious Trent reference. Is she kind of referencing like a stripper, like he's a puppet kind of? We all like to watch, reminds me kind of being at a strip show or being at like a nightclub where you're like watching the girls. And so he's shimmying once and she's commanding that he do it again. Like she's, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe, or is this man kind of bending over backwards and jumping through hoops to please this woman and everyone's just kind of watching it unfold and he's kind of the only one unaware of how bad it's gotten or what he's doing and how much he's being manipulated. I don't know. And do they like to watch? She's said throughout all of these quotes that she hates to watch. She (laughs) hates to watch this. We all like to watch except me is what she's saying, maybe. Or like it was fun at first and like we get it. It's hilarious. But now it's gone too far. This has gone on long enough. Yeah. Or is this a version of like we all like to watch but we hate to admit it or we feel guilty about it? Like, I don't know. When you're watching a tabloidy show or reality television and you're watching a couple break up and you're like, oh my God, this is so terrible. I can't look, but I love it. Who is she talking to? The man? Yeah, I have to believe she's talking to the man. Like, bring me to the party and I will kick her ass. Like, don't worry, I got her. Yeah, basically. Do you need a woman to look after you? Yeah, you're right. You've been referencing God this whole episode. Weird. Now I see it. Mm. Cocaine, you're my God now. So we can identify like the relationship she has with the man. If this line is to the man, bring your sister if you can't handle it. Bring me along. Then obviously it's someone that she cares about who is like a sister. Like she's a sister too. Yeah. I'm going to take care of this. Sit down. Take a seat. And in fact, I'm going to kick it right now, actually. So do the opposite of take a seat and everybody stand up. Yeah. Off your asses. I love this as a verse because it's basically like you're at her whim, no matter what she says you're going to do, even if it contradicts what she just said. So she says, do this, you're going to do that. But then she says, do this instead, and you're going to do that. And she says, why are you doing this when I told you to do this? You can't bend your penis into 17 different shapes. Yeah, no matter what you do, you're just never going to please her. And you can't even keep up with what her whims are going to be on that day. Right. And then when you stand up for yourself, then she says, you're controlling the way I make you crawl. Well, that's interesting. I take that as a separate line. Like that kind of thought or all the back and forth with the control ends and then that's just sort of an aside. She's really making you crawl the way she makes you crawl. It's an observation of what you're doing. Oh, I take it as like when he gets a little bit of voice or when he says something about it, then even that, she whips him back in line by saying, you're controlling the way I make you crawl. I can see it. Definition of the word exodus, a mass departure of people, especially emigrants, (laughs) the departure of the Israelites from Egypt. I love that she got really political right in the middle of this song. (laughs) How do you take this? Maybe that there's no escape from this relationship. Or she's laughing at the exodus of people from his life. Or the exodus of himself from his life. Ooh, I like that. And she's laughing. I like that. And she's just this puppet master kind of orchestrating the whole thing and feeding on this man's pain. Yes. She's a Exodus laughing. The E is capitalized in the booklet, right? Yes. I'm going to read you this little bit from The Village Voice, April 28th, 1998, in an article titled, Why Tori Can Groove. (laughs) Eric Weisbard, in the article, he mentions something I found really interesting. He says, 
But devotees learn she's telling stories underneath. On 1996 Boys for Pele, the subtext was a much-rumored affair with a goth rocker broken up by Courtney Love, the subject of Professional Widow, and maybe the new album She's Your Cocaine, with the mention of the Kurt and Courtney Treatment Center Exodus. So that, the Exodus Recovery Center, is where Kurt was in where he escaped, you know, where he, like, took off in 1994. Yeah, so the Exodus Recovery Center. So do you think that's in here? She does capitalize Exodus, Exodus laughing. I mean, I have to believe that's part of it for sure. But I mean, of course, that also brings to mind the book of the Bible, Exodus, which you would capitalize. But interesting. Is the book in the Bible about Kurt and Courtney? Yeah, it is. Uh huh. The industry calls it the Ballad of Kurt and Courtney. So yeah. <laughs> what does the book of Exodus tell us? Uh, 40 years in the desert is hysterical. Yeah, the book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It describes the Israelites' deliverance from slavery in Egypt through the hand of Yahweh, the revelations at biblical Mount Sinai, and the subsequent divine indwelling of God with Israel. That's obviously what she means in this song. Yeah, of course. I don't know why we didn't see it before. Exodus is traditionally ascribed to Moses, but modern scholars see its initial composition as a product of Tori Amos. Uh-huh. Final revisions by Tori Amos, drums by Matt Chamberlain, rock by <laughs> Steve Caton. And Tori Amos as Moses. I guess we could also see that if we want to go the biblical route as Exodus being kind of shorthand for trials and tribulations and someone taking pleasure in the pain of others, maybe with their Exodus laughing. I don't know. Mm, yeah. What do you think that means? She has inform. Oh, that kind of takes me back to the quote where she said these women kind of slither their way into your life and convince you that you're safe and they get all this information out of you that they can later use against you. So is that mm-hmm. Tori's way of saying this woman has all your secrets so she can Oh, interesting. Threaten or blackmail you because she knows what you are. Right. Or maybe that he's turned into this, the shaving his legs and putting on the makeup. Maybe that's who he's become. She's made him into what she wants him to be. Mm. Girls, why do we give ourselves away? And sometimes men, too. Is this to the woman? We all like to watch her shimmy. Everyone's watching her and like how hard she's working. Like she's shimmying to get his attention and to get him to change and to do all these things. Yeah, maybe. And you know, on the surface, this woman is kind of charismatic and magnetic to everyone but the observer. Let's say in this case, Tori, she's kind of really something to see and to watch. They don't necessarily know everything that she's up to. She can land a punch and then shake her little hip and she's off. This kind of is, I have your back. Like, I'll be here. You just tell me when you're, when you need me. I'm watching. We all like to watch. We're all here watching. But you just call for me when you need me and I'll be there. Yeah. And we've said it on the show before. Tori always kind of presents herself as a man's girl, right? So yeah. in this case, yeah. she's kind of citing or she has the man's back as opposed to the woman in this story. She's a sister to this man when there is a distinct lack of sisterhood amongst the women. Ooh, well said. If you want me to, boy, I could Is she singing to the boy? Or is she saying, boy, I could lie to you, to the girl? No, I think she's saying it to the boy, and it's capitalized, right? If that means anything. Yeah, you're probably right. She's singing to the boy. If you want me to, boy, I could lie to you. Meaning, I could pretend she's not like this, or I could pretend she's cool. I could tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. Exactly. Is it that thing where you ask your friends what they think about your new partner or significant other, and they're like... Do they really want to know? Or should I just be like, she seems nice. She's so great. I like her shoes. You don't need one of these to let me inside you. 
Tori grabbing her crotch when she sings that line? Okay, let's talk about this because I said this in the Liquid Diamonds episode, but it got cut out by the editor, me. Mm, sometimes the editor is ruthless and we say the artist is really right. on one today, isn't she, boys? <laughs> well, I felt it worked better here in the She's Your Cocaine episode. I knew this guy once named Chris back in the 90s and he went to the Tori Amos concert with me. Not with me. He was also at the Tori Amos concert. And we were talking about it a couple days later and he was like, oh, I loved when she did She's Your Cocaine. And she said, you don't need one of these to let me inside of you and grabbed her crotch. I'm like, that didn't happen. And she said, yes, it did. And I said, she didn't even play that song at the concert. He's like, she did it? And I said, no. It's always struck me as so strange because when I heard the song, you don't need one of these to let me inside of you. I always imagined her stroking her fallboard because she talks about it. It's her nine foot. That's her way in, right? It's her thing. So I've always thought you don't need me to tell you the truth. You don't need one of these. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but when she's like, that's her dick. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's where I was going. When You're she, welcome. When she talks like that and kind of strokes the piano, isn't that her way of saying, like, this boozy is my lady dick? Okay, you're right. But I just find it interesting that this guy, Chris, had that memory, even though he wasn't that much of a Tory fan and hadn't been on, like, that was his only show probably still to this day, that he would have that memory of her grabbing her crotch. Did she do that during the 98 tour? What do you mean? She was always grabbing her crotch. During that part, though? I think she probably did. I don't think so. Maybe not consistently the way she would do her mic fellatio at the end of every performance, <laughs> but I'm sure sure at some point she grabbed her crotch she can't help herself who can and is it true that devils and like you something safe for the picture frame i love the idea of this being sung to the woman you're a demon basically and you look good you're safe for the picture frame like you can't see that you're a succubus but you are a succubus and you've come straight from hell in human form that you yeah. the devils have ended up like you like you, there's a bunch of devils around mm. this world and they all look like you which to me is supported by the background lyrics I think she's saying, oh, you know you are. What do you think? I think this is another moment where Tori was looking deep into the future. But this line now kind of makes me think of social media where everyone's relationship or everyone's life looks perfect because it's so curated. But you never know what's actually going mm. on under the surface. Then is this line to the couple, like to both of them? I kind of think so. That their relationship is safe for the picture frame? Yeah. They're not acknowledging what's really happening or that they're really good at posing. Or if it is just to the woman, again, that she's good at convincing everyone. I like the idea that it's to the couple because then we got this next line. And is it true that devils end up like you so tired you don't know how she came? Because you don't know how she came implies that it's being sung to the man, right? Yes. How do you take this line? I almost think that's like you get to a point when you're so far gone, you're like, how did I even get in this situation? How did I end up in this relationship? Yeah. How did I end up here? How is this my life? You're so into the daily minutia of this insanity that you can't even remember how you got here. You're right. Yeah. Have you ever taken... You don't know how she came being like a sexual reference. I was going to ask you, do you think there's a double entendre happening here? Knowing Tori Amos, I think there must be. But I prefer the read that so tied up, you don't know how she even got here. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Because what would be the option? Like you're so wrapped up in this that she had to finish herself off. You don't even know how she like got there herself. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there would have to be some sort of like BDSM element here, I guess, where the guy is actually restrained, but the woman is still managing to feed or get what she needs out of the situation. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Oh, I like it, David. I see it. How is she getting her rocks off when you're tied up in knots? Right. She doesn't need anything from you physically to get there. All she needs to do is kind of torture you and see you in pain. That's why she's yeah, there. Yeah, she's what... happiest when you're in pain. Yeah. I like that double meaning, actually. I really really like that. Sold. Again, still emasculating him, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, I don't know what that means. Maybe so emasculated that he's now like checking out other legs like, oh, I wish I had those. Or, like, those are nice. Oh, you think so? I mean, <laughs> that's the only way I can read this line. I don't know how. Tori does have nice legs. Even we've really noticed them. She's got great legs. Yeah. <laughs> Tori there observing, right? I think the me is her. What a stretch. What an expose. I know. When Tori says me, I think she's referencing herself. Oh, man. Blew this thing wide open. Is it lasting? I'm not even kidding. I, up until this point, thought it was blasting. No, it's lasting. Lasting mine evil. Lasting mine evil. I'm still stuck on getting mine back. I'm getting my man back. I'm getting mine back. My kin. I'm getting mine back. Because shortly after, she says, I'm taking my easel and I'm riding good chicks. Yes. Meaning, I talk the talk, but I can also walk the walk. Like, I'm not writing checks my ass can't cash. Yeah. Right? (laughs) I take that to mean I'm going to kick your ass. Like, I'm saying I'm going to do it, and I'm also going to do it. But on her easel, meaning her palette, her piano, her songs... Therefore, lasting mine evil, I think, is a concoction of words. It's a cacophony. (laughs) To me, this verse is kind of Tori reflecting back on the Boys for Pele era, I have to say, where she's kind of come to terms with the times that she played this role in the past and manipulated men or needed power from men. But now she's kind of content with who she is as an artist and a woman. And she's kind of off with her easel, meaning as an artist and writing good checks. To me, that's kind of her way of saying, but boys, I bring home the bacon. Like, she's selling sustaining and empowered and fully realized Mm. i never took that to be literal writing good checks yes i think it's pretty literal i always took it to mean like i'm writing checks that what's that phrase i always took that to mean i'm gonna do what i say i'm gonna do don't write checks your body can't cash yeah exactly yeah but i see it like i'm taking my easel as an artist and i'm writing good checks meaning i am successful everyone knows when you have to do that you just date at some point in the future that still doesn't give me clarity on lasting mine evil And I think I'm getting too wrapped up in it. Lasting mine evil. It's in like some weird Renaissance Fair speech, but she could be saying like, I'm maintaining my evilness, my own evilness for the time being. Yeah. Cut you out of his life. I'm lasting mine evil. I don't know. You're more generous than I am. You're going Shakespearean and I'm going like Yoda. (laughs) She's like, lasting mine evil I am. (laughs) That was a terrible Yoda, but you know what I mean. Every time I hear that, I just want to be like, oh, damn, that is a sick burn. Squire of dimness. Damn. Talk about a verbal bomb. I mean, who is she addressing? Well, there's a pretty obvious Trent reference. 
I think she's addressing the man, the Trent, if you will, who is letting himself be manipulated by this woman. She's addressing all the baby demons that she talked about in that quote who can't own their own stuff and are kind of seduced with this woman who's like, yeah, let's be dark and edgy together. Oh, my God. She's been holding on to this line since Voice for Pele recording session. How many variations of it do you think there were before she landed on Squire (laughs) of Dimness? She was like, Baron of Ineptitude. Earl, who is lacking in self-awareness. No, no, it doesn't scan. <laughs> Keep going, Tori. You can do this. You'll get it one day. And Mark was leaning over her shoulder and she was like, no, don't help me with this. I can write my own lyrics. Please don't help me with this. <laughs> Wait, that's it. That's the end of the song. Thank you. <laughs> Who do you think she's singing to and what does that mean? Please don't help me with this. Like she can do it alone. I'll get her on my own. I don't need your help. Is it possible that she's speaking as the man now and this is his response to Tori or the character who's trying to help him? He wants this to kind of blow up? I mean, anything's possible, (laughs) but is it likely? I don't know. I've never read it that way. I've always read it as like a very independent statement. Kind of like you said earlier, like I bring home the bacon, but like, please don't help me with this. I got this on my own. Because when she improvs, and we're going to fully explore all of that through the live section, when she's improving in this section, she says things like, please don't help me with this. I do it alone. I said, boys, I don't need you. So it seems like she's singing to the men. Yeah, I'll take care of this woman on my own. You don't need my voice, girl. You got your own. Take it out and fuck yourself. Golly. Spoiler alert. That's my favorite performance of She's Your Cocaine when she says that. Well, that was good. Do you feel like you understand it a little bit better? I don't know. I feel like I needed somebody to help me with this. Well, you're in luck, David, because we have friend and supporter Marla Darling on the line. You've heard her on Never Shut Up, where she exposed George Michael's father figure for the delight that it is. She's here today to talk about her unending love for She's Your Cocaine. Hi, Marla. Hi. Are you uh, are you coming in high on cocaine? <laughs> Not today. Then you're doing it all wrong. You know what's so funny is like, I think the last time I actually did cocaine was like before quarantine. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, back when parties were still parties. <laughs> you know, cocaine fueled orgies. That's what I demand. Yes, always a fun time. Tell us about your love of not only Choir Girl, but specifically She's Your Cocaine. You've exposed father figure. Now it's time to expose yourself. (laughs) (gasps) Okay, done and done. So as most people, I got it the release day, which was May 5th, 1998. And I listened to the album all the way through. And I think one of the things that caught my attention was how different the sound was. Um, both in terms of using the band and then in comparison to everything she had done before that. And I think what really propelled it even more was when I heard it live. Um, I was at the San Diego show at the Open Air Theater. And so I think that was, I want to say when, by the time the tour came to San Diego, that was when um, she started using the Black Sabbath Sweet Leaf improv and I think that's really what made the song for me and kind of gave me this kind of like idea of what she was really kind of going for in the studio and how it kind of evolved with not only was it this very sultry very dirty sounding kind of sound but then to also add this metal influence on top of that I thought that was just 
really fucking cool to like hear these different influences coming through. It's interesting that you say that because David, I don't think we mentioned, yes, the sound of the song is, it's very rock influence, which we did talk about, but like what she was doing with the band was completely different and very exciting, right? She was not doing the band thing, like a hard rock band thing, but this one song, she's like, yes, I'm giving you my Black Sabbath. I'm giving you my Ramones. Yeah, for sure. I feel like this was sort of the predecessor to what would later become American Doll Posse. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. So I feel like this song is actually a bridge between Why Can't Tori Reid and American Doll Posse, actually. Talk more about that. Um, so with Why Can't Tori Reid, I feel like Why Can't Tori Reid was sort of labeled as this metal band from L.A. And I feel that with American Doll Posse, American Doll Posse sort of kind of revisited some of those themes, like with Teenage Hustling and like the songs that were like pip influenced. I feel like that was sort of like a take on maybe had she like approached it in a different way and her way. Do you feel like your relationship with the song has changed over the years? Has it gotten dirtier like the song itself? Um, I feel like it really has kind of made performing a lot more fun. Um, I'm a producer. I'm a drag producer. I've also produced Tori Amos drag tributes, Dragon Burlesque tributes. And I feel like when I've performed this song, it's definitely gotten to this point of like this kinky dom scenario almost. And I also had a friend who performed it when I first did my first Framed and Dried show. And it was this very kinky submissive. So I almost feel like this is a theme song for bondage. I love it. We were mm. just talking about bondage a little, weren't we, David? We sure were. But when aren't we? Are there are there videos of these performances? Because that seems like something we might need to take a look at. Unfortunately, there isn't. David, these are safe spaces. Yeah. What? Unfortunately, there isn't because I didn't have a phone that was good camera quality sadly i wasn't Uh. able to capture either of those performances but i wish i could though we have a delicious question for you we want you to tell us your favorite singular lyrical moment and why and we're going to tell you ours and we're going to see if they match okay uh the um signed prince of darkness try squire of dimness and why i feel like that is a perfect moment to like get back it's like a revenge fuck you moment um i also think it's it's the original diss track yeah i also feel like it's a subtle diss to trent reznor subtle huh (laughs) subtle you say (laughs) yeah well i mean like you know subtle is in professional widows about courtney love and she's your cocaine is about trent reznor (laughs) david what's your favorite you know what i'm gonna have to hop on that subtle bandwagon myself i think that's my favorite lyrical moment primarily because i feel like tori is so pleased with it that i'm pleased for her i feel like she's like <laughs> high-fiving herself with that tri-squire of dimness she's like damn i am savage can you believe it <laughs> classic bougie ratchet yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know and it's for that particular reason that i have always cringed a little bit at that line um it feels so self-congratulatory like i made it like that's an insult i just didn't uh, that's why i love it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know that's why you love it i'm gonna choose so tied up you don't know how she came because Mm. i think that's a classier sort of like uh oh yeah that double entendre in there like we talked about and so i'm gonna choose Mm -hmm. that as my favorite lyrical moment would you have chosen that before our discussion or is that a recent absolutely it's my favorite part of the song no it's my favorite part of the song i love it every time it comes on you don't know how she came and i love that mellotron flute and during that bridge actually I mean, that's like another, like, 
that was another like moment for me in that song was just that Mellotron Carswell keyboard sound that she sampled in that, which I always thought was like another high point to that song other than just the overall sound. Do you have any words of wisdom for the people that She's Your Cocaine has given to you as we depart? Take no prisoners and be glamorous at oh, the same time. I love it. That's perfect. Love it Isn't too. Isn't that perfect, David? Make them eat it. <laughs> Make them eat it. You can follow Marla Darling on Instagram at MarlaDarlingPDX. And that's the only place you can find her because she's not on Twitter. So go look for her. Go look at her pictures. Follow her. Stan her. And she produces parties, like she said, in Portland. Tori Amos-themed parties, which we've been a part of in some very small way. Um, and we're happy to continue to support Marla. When's the next party? Hopefully after quarantine. Oh, yeah. That old thing. Thanks, Marla. We'll talk to you again, of course. Thank you. Anytime. Okay, bye. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. start off by saying I have a no, literally no idea how Yanta pulled the piano from this song to even assess it, much less transcribe it. I'm blown away every time, and I'm not actually convinced that he isn't Tori Amos, because some of his versions I might actually <laughs> prefer to the studio cuts. It's really playful. It's playful and minimal piano by Tory standards, right? So is this pretty much exclusively yeah. left hand? Is that what's happening? I think so. Maybe you're right. We had a little bit of Kurzweil sounds or maybe Mellotron sounds on the right hand. She's got that left hand that makes Elton John seethe with jealousy and throw his tiara to the ground. Imagine she was recording piano only with Matt's drums and added kind of these keyboard flourishes after the fact, or that she was two-handing it, double-fisting it. I wonder. That's a good question. I wonder. Maybe both at the same time. Even more impressive after a couple margaritas. the first the song has two bridges mm. I love two bridges that key change like a crashing wave flowing over me Is this a little bit of Mellotron and a little bit of uh, Kurzweil together? What do you think? Because it's obviously a sampled flute. Sounds like a flute. Yeah, I think there's a, a little bit of both happening, but primarily it sounds like a keyboard sample of a flute to me. Remember that Jay Leno interview where he says, you make great noises. 
And she says, yeah, sometimes all sorts of noises. restraint here considering that we know where the song goes with percussion and rhythm you know mm. the piano player is actually restrained i feel like with the percussion stripped out we can really hear more of that glam influence kind of rooted in the 60s and 70s and during that last verse there was something kind of doorsish about it to me too maybe just the keyboard noise she chose seemed reminiscent oh, of yeah. that era you're thinking riders on the storm yeah and maybe with like a little in a, yeah. in a gata de vida which i know is not the doors but some of that in there too iron butterfly yeah and the definitely influenced by those classical rock guys as we'll see in the live section obviously she throws in some black sabbath in there but you can support Yanta by going to patreon.com slash Yanta. You are not Tori Amos. So now we're going to hear from another super fan. We're going to invite our friend Abby Stevens onto the show. She's been waiting in the wings. We're going to invite her on to talk about this song. Where are you from, Abby? Marlboro, Massachusetts, which is like 45 minutes from Boston. Mm. Oh, my God. Are you called a mass hole? Yes, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> okay, good. I didn't know if that would offend you. I didn't know if I suddenly was like, oh, my God. Is, no. that, a, is, that, a, is that a bad term? No. Okay, good. <laughs> you are a Tory fan, I'm assuming. Tell us how that came to be. A friend of mine had a ticket to the Under the Pink tour. <gasps> and, um, yeah, tell me about it. And it was fucking magical. And my friend screamed, I love you. And Tori looked right at her and said, I love you back. And, oh, oh my God. Chills. Did Chills. She, <laughs> now, that's how you told the story. But did she really say, I love you, Myra Ellen? <laughs> No, no, no. She just said, oh, she might have said Tori, but I just remember her screaming, I love you. So, and, and Tori looked right, I mean, we were, I forget what our seats were. We were like center, like maybe sixth row center, oh. like a perfect, yeah, it was perfect. And, and it. she looked right at my friend and was like, I love you back. <laughs> you know? It was like, awesome. So anyways, I've, I've seen her, so between Under the Pink and Beekeeper tours, I've seen her about 14 times. And I've gone to the meet and greets and whatnot. I've given her things. And she's wonderful. I was hooked when I saw her in concert. I was hooked more than the albums because she just makes you feel like she's only singing to you. It's amazing. Mm. It's, it's such an amazing feeling, the way she makes you feel in those concerts. So had you never heard Tori before seeing her live? Well, I had seen... <laughs> I'm laughing because the first time I saw Tori was on Beavis and Butthead. Uh, <laughs> we've been, that's been a theme that's been popping up a lot lately for us, David. Yeah, it has. Well, what happened was she had, I believe it was Crucify, mm -hmm. and she had that like sheer rectangular thing like hanging off her dress. Mm -hmm. And I remember them being like, hey, she's out to dinner and she uh, her napkin stayed on her dress or something like that. It was really funny. So I caught her then, and of course I was into her, but then my friend was into her. So I started getting the albums. I got Little Earthquakes, and then I got a Little Five of uh, Crucify, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Angie. And then another friend, she got me into the B-sides because she knew that they were all these B-sides, and I got 
got this double CD of Under the Pink and the other side yeah. with another CD, More all of B-sides. Yes. And those B-sides are, like, priceless. Mm-hmm. Like, And now they're out now, but nobody realizes, like, in 1993, those were hard to get, you mm-hmm. know? And she released them in Europe, but took her, I don't know, 30 years, it seems like, to release them here. So what about She's Your Cocaine attracts you to that song more than any other? Well, it's rocking. Right. <laughs> I like it when she she's with the band. All right, since we're going right in there. Since I know about Tori's past, of course I'm going to put some kind of in-my-head gossipy spin on it. And I don't believe it's about Trent and Courtney. I think it's about Marilyn Manson and Trent Reznor. Ooh, interesting. Get we, laid on us. We are going to play a bomb exploding sound Wait. effect there. <laughs> Drop that bomb on us, Abby. Tell us why. Um, there are rumors that Trent Reznor and, and Marilyn Manson had a romantic or sexual um, relationship. They're just rumors. We don't know. Uh, but but Marilyn Manson is always like dropping these hints and double entendres about his relationship with Trent. Are you sure you're not just trying to start this rumor right now? <laughs> Listen, you don't know how old I am, but I lived through the 90s. That's old. And I remember these rumors. <laughs> I don't need to Google it or any shit like that. I remember these rumors. And I remember thinking... I almost felt like who Tori's talking to could be Marilyn Manson, and then the sister could be Trent, or the other way around. It kind of goes back and forth, because I feel like at the beginning, when she's saying, you know, you want to be me, say it, I feel like she's saying that to Marilyn Manson. Mm. But in the bridge, when she's like, is it true that all devils end up like you, something safe for the picture frame, I feel like that harkens back to, you know she lusted after Trent before she did pass the mission. You know it. Who hasn't? <laughs> you know? We're all red-blooded American women here. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, you heard it here first, folks, and perhaps only. Yeah. <laughs> first and last. <laughs> So we have a question for you. We're going to ask you, what is your favorite musical moment of the song? And get, go into detail and tell us why. And David, we're going to talk about ours as well. So okay. get ready. So I'm not a musician, but I know what the bridge is. Um, it's both my favorite musically and lyrically. It's so brilliant. It so summarizes the song beautifully because it's like, you're a piece of shit that's getting some karma right now. But how did you even let this thing into your life? Like, you don't even know how this thing who's using you, who's you're, you know, pussy whipped or whatever, you're whipped in some way by this other, the sister. You don't even know how it started. That's how fucked up you are. I just love that. I love that. I love that, too. What do you think, David? What's your favorite moment in the song, musical moment? I agree. I'm going to have to go with that moment, too. It's one of those standout Tory Bridges where you really kind of, I don't know, take a left turn, an unexpected left turn. And I kind of love that it dovetails with the bridge of Professional Widow because I definitely think there's some um, subject matter or maybe even character overlap here. That, you know, kind of piano interlude of God of Rerun of Muhammad Ali is so different than the rest of the song, as is this bridge of She's Your Cocaine. So that's what I'm going with. Can I elaborate on what he said? Yeah. Thank you so much because I believe there's a direct correlation between professional widow and choose your cocaine and yes the bridge and the thing about the angel i'm just going to say one more thing and then we can stop talking about professional widow right before 
her album in 96 came out, Courtney Love was on the cover of Vanity Fair dressed up like an angel. And here's another thing. She was wearing a peach outfit. Peaches and cream. Peaches and cream is in there somewhere. Abby, you are full of bombs today. Roll another bomb sound effect, Oliver. Uh-oh. We should do a hot topic section where we periodically invite Abby to just expose the song. <laughs> yeah, we should. Oh, my God. Let's do it like The View, and then we'll do a split screen when it gets really heated. Yes. <laughs> well, not that anybody cares about my favorite musical moment, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> my favorite musical moment is the whole end, that whole breakdown at the end. Please don't help me that whole section. And it's so cool right. when she says, cut it again. Cut it again. It's like, cut it again. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I just feel like it's so wild. It's uninhibited. And that's what I go to Tori for. <laughs> well, to stay to the true Not nature me. of this song, which we think is a big fuck you, whether it's to Courtney, to Trent, to Marilyn Manson, to whoever, whether we think it's a big fuck you. So we're going to give you this platform, Abby, to say a big fuck you to someone in your life. They probably won't ever hear this. Who do you want to say fuck you to? Can it be someone I've never met? Yes. <laughs> Fuck you, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Abby, it's been yeah. such a pleasure. We'll have you on again. You cannot follow Abby anywhere because she doesn't do social media. Take that, fans. I do. You can find me on Instagram. Probably just put in my name. You can find her on Instagram, but it's yeah. going to be a chore, and if you, you got to work <laughs> for it. All right, Abby, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll talk again. Okay, have a good right, one. Thanks, Abby. Bye. 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 On the line, we have acclaimed author and journalist Antonella Gambato-Burke. She is the author of several books, including Mama, Love, Motherhood, and Revolution, and The Eclipse, A Memoir of Suicide. She's also interviewed Tori Amos twice, and she is a big Tori Amos fan. Hi, Antonella. Hello, Antonella. Hello, guys. Yes. We are so excited to talk to you. So we stumbled upon a little phrase that you wrote in an interview with Tori in 2005. You said that the industry knows that She's Your Cocaine is the ballad of Trent and Courtney. And we wanted to address that with you first and foremost, and then talk about other things. Okay. Well, I am a phenomenal fan of Trent Reznor as well. I love Nine Inch Nails. And because I was a great fan of both of them, um, unrelated, by the way, it wasn't, I didn't, come to Trent through Tory. I, I was introduced to Trent by my ex-husband, who was a big Nine Inch Nails fan, and absolutely fell in love with him. But I'd always been in love with Tory since hearing Little Earthquakes, which blew my mind. I remember the first time... I, I used to work for the Enemy Express in, in London years and years ago, and I worked for all the music papers here, so I, I don't you know, I don't immerse myself in music the way I used to, but I still keep an eye on what's going on. And I heard Little Earthquakes and was just blown away, mesmerized. And I remember listening to that album, oh God, what was it? A thousand times, I think. <laughs> I just kept, I went on a road trip with a friend of mine and we listened to it on repeat over a man, by the way, a heterosexual man. I think he must have been in love with me to... <laughs> listen to this so long, um, over and over and over and over and over again. And then I interviewed her for the first time then. And then I went back to her later because I just adore her as an artist. But back to Trent. 
And during the second interview, which was around the beekeeper time, when she had changed phenomenally. I mean, the difference between early Tory before she hit the big time and, you know, famous Tory, there's just a world of difference between these two women um, in so many respects. And I suppose we can go into that after this. But during during the beekeeper time, she was married. She was already a mother. She was really sort of reaching her power as a woman, as an artist, and had a lot more, a completely different tenor on the stage than the early days when she was much mm. more raw mm-hmm. and unsophisticated, still mesmerizing. I mm-hmm. mean, just, ah, oh, to die for, but not this kind of sophisticated performance that she now has. You know, mm-hmm. she's just so good. Yeah. And what happened was I brought up, um, she's Yorker Kane. And she looked at me and just rolled her eyes <laughs> in disgust at the mention of Resdorn's name. There was just this look of, are you serious talking about that worm? And, um, you know, she brought up Courtney Love, who also, <laughs> poor, old, poor old Trent, <laughs> had both women turning on him simultaneously because I think, I think Courtney, what was Courtney Love's famous line? I'm paraphrasing where she said, you know, he shouldn't have called the band Nine Inch Nails, he should have called it Four Inch Nails. <laughs> ouch, ouch. So poor old Trent was getting it, you know, in the end he got it from both angles. <laughs> Although I don't, I didn't get the impression that Tory had any sense of solidarity with Courtney Love whatsoever, <laughs> mm. despite her later very funny comments. I mean, Tor- Courtney Love is hilarious, and and Tory is a very assertive, leonine woman, very proud and very, you know, the powerful feminine, if you will, the potent feminine. And, you know, archetypal in that respect, the, the lioness. Did you write the phrase, the ballad of Trent and Courtney, or was that something that you'd heard? No, no, it's something she told me. Oh. I think. I think she told me. No. Did she tell I'm Sorry, we're going back like 15 years. <laughs> Either she told me or someone <laughs> in the industry told me. I cannot recall. I, can't, I honestly cannot recall. She may have told me that, or someone else may have told me that. I can't, I can't actually mm. remember. It, looking back, it's more probable that I heard that from someone else because she really didn't want to talk about him. I think it's kind of typical of Tori to neither confirm nor deny that a song is about someone in particular. Well, you like, can't. You, you act, yeah. That puts you in a very strange position. You could have legal action taken against you, all sorts of things. I mean, the fact is that artists always base things on people, always. I mean, I know this firsthand. It's, it's, they, they use situations and people around them. I mean, there is, you know, on one hand, you could term it inspiration. And, of course, you need inspiration, but in other hands, I, 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 on the other hand, I don't think that um, this song was inspired so much as a kind of slap in the face. You know, there was a little bit of a roundhouse kick in the song. So you say you've interviewed Tori twice. You say you interviewed Tori in 2005 yes. and 1992. We were unable to find your 1992 interview. No, that's in my book. Oh, okay, that's great. in my anthology. An Instinct for the Kill? I think that's it. Yeah, I think it's an instinct. I'm not, to be honest, I can't <laughs> remember. As I said, these are 
I am so busy at the moment because I'm working on this utterly absorbing, incredibly complex, ultra-researched book about drugs and sex and all, you know, motherhood and all sorts of things. And I'm utterly in that world at this point, which is why I may seem a little vague, in addition to looking after my daughter. So, um... It's, I, it, forgive me for being a little frazzled and I had to quit my radio show to work on the book and all sorts of things going on at the moment so my life is like a whirlwind right now um, despite the fact that we're kind of still in lockdown I mean we're not technically right. in lockdown anymore but the vibe here is very much lockdown why don't you tell our listeners about your books um, you've written one novel The Pure Weight of the Heart you have two anthologies Lunch of Blood and An Instinct for the Kill but you also have two other books coming out soon I have I've written The Eclipse a memoir of suicide which is available on Amazon that's a memoir of my brother's suicide and also the indirect suicide of my ex-fiance and then I took a long break from writing well I have a break, if you will. I was raising a baby, so I focused on that because I took that really seriously and was only doing tiny bits and pieces of literary criticism and interviews in between. And as I, as I said, um, when the second time I interviewed Tori, she was actually the only person I told of my pregnancy other than my husband. I was six weeks pregnant and in a complete state of shock, having never been pregnant before. And it almost seemed like an utterly incredible, improbable thing to be because I didn't, I just, I've never perceived myself in terms of womanhood before. And she was actually the perfect <clears throat> person to talk to about this because she's so into feminine archetypes and also being a very committed career woman. And, and we were both discussing, you know, wrapping our heads around this idea that we were women because in this culture, well, not so much, no, no, but even now, even now, but there's still this kind of, if a woman uses her mind and creativity, she's somehow neutered in terms of perception. And there's almost like this choice you make spiritually between nurturance and the fulfillment of creativity and intellectual ambitions. And we were both discussing this in, in detail. She she was just magnificent. And my daughter actually attended her first two gigs that week inside me um, because we went we went to see Tori twice at the Sydney Opera House. And, oh, my God, she was... I mean, I was actually in tears. And it wasn't just the pregnancy because I wasn't the only one. I mean, she had the audience... You know, she when she plays to you know a piano and a harpsichord simultaneously, you just you're sitting there looking at this woman, thinking, "You freak of nature, you, you know, you glorious spirit." You just see her, just the ease, and she is music. You know, she she actually becomes one with the music. She's not just performing; she embodies it. It becomes her. And I have never seen an artist do that before. I've been to six trillion gigs. But it, yeah, getting back to the point, sorry, digressing. In 2015, I wrote Mama, M-A-M-A, Love, Motherhood and Revolution, which is about the well, pretty much what I had started discussing with Tori, which is this choice women feel they have to make and also the intrinsic revolution that takes place during 
pregnancy if you allow it and how you can evolve and change. It's not a how-to book. It's more a philosophical book. And the one I'm working on at the moment is really, really hardline, hardcore. And that's called Apple, Sex, Drugs, Motherhood, and the Recovery of the Feminine. And this is a very serious hardliner book. I'm curious, um, it sounds like you had a really kind of deep, personal, intimate conversation with Tori, which is not entirely surprising. As a journalist, I'm curious, when you interview an artist like Tori who can get very candid, are there pieces of the conversation that are... like that she's aware are not going to be included in the article? Is there kind of an in agreement, spoken or unspoken? Or is everything kind of fodder potentially for the piece? I tend to just go in and everything they say is on the record unless they specifically ask me not to include something, in which case I won't. Tori and I have never had that conversation. Everything that we discussed that was interesting was was used. Um as I said before, the difference between her in the Little Earthquakes era and the Beekeeper was phenomenal. I mean, by the Beekeeper, she was a woman, and Little Earthquakes, she was still a girl. Whereas by the time the Beekeeper came out, she could handle anything. Sorry, I think you can hear I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, Antonella, you yeah. have such a beautiful way with words. I feel that we are kindred spirits in our fanhood and our, in our love of Tori. Yeah. Please head over to her website, AntonellaGambatoBurke.com, which we'll link to in our show notes on our website, SongsOfToriAmos.com. You can find her info there, get information on her books. I've just purchased an instinct for the kill because I'm desperate to read that 1992 girlish interview of Tori Amos. And you have something to tell our listeners about the other interview, right? The 2005 interview? I've actually uploaded for your listeners a copy of this dreadful interview, but there are some cute <laughs> quotes in it. As I said, don't judge me from the writing. It's bloody horrible. But um, the books can be found, links to the books and information about the books can be found on the books section of my website. Right. So if you just click on books, you'll get all the information you want. Antonella Gambato burke she writes about sex, death, music, motherhood, and the divine feminine, all our favorite topics. Thank you, Antonella, for being on our show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course, that was just a small portion of a longer interview, which you can find on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Songs of Tori Amos. The full interview is already uploaded there, and it's amazing. Thanks, Antonella. Now, this is Daryl Banner with his hyper 8-bit cover of She's Your Cocaine.
to another thrilling episode of Bring Your Sister If You Can Handle It. We are your hosts. I'm Chuck Woolereef. And I'm Tom Berger-Anderson. Today's team playing for clout are the sisters named Desire, Shay Stymack and Lynn Nettleton. Hi, ladies. Hi, guys. Hi. How are you? Where are you from, Shay? I am currently living in Brentwood, California. Mmm, classy lady. And Lynn, where do you find yourself? I live in Santa Rosa in Sonoma County. Ooh-wee, Tom, that sounds a little far. What's the distance between you sisters? Um, it takes me about an hour and a half-ish to get there, to get to her house. Well, I can feel that distance getting close. <laughs> but what about that psychic energy? How long does it take that to reach each other? Point zero seconds. <laughs> So is that three hours round trip? I'm just asking because that's enough time to listen to one episode of Drive All Night if it is. True. Oh, I've done that many times. Yes, I've done the same thing. I don't know that show. This is Bring Your Sister If You Can Handle It. The way this game is played, we have sent our sisters each to their own soundproof booth where they've answered a series of questions. We've now reconvened to see which sister knows the other sister best. We're here to find out which sister can truly handle it and which sister will need to cut it again. I'm curious to find out if our sisters will have to say, little sister, you'll forgive me one day. Either way, we're glad they came. <laughs> Good one, Tom. Are our sisters ready to play? Ready. Round one, favorite sister of the whole bunch. In this round, each correct answer is worth one point. Question number one to Lynn. We asked Shay what her favorite Tori Amos album is. Lynn, what did Shay say? Boys for Pele. That is correct. Nice. Shay, we asked Lynn the same question. What did Lynn say? Um, I think it's Scarlet's Walk. Ooh, the sister, sister knows best. That's right. All right, we're going neck and neck here. Things are all tied up. Question number two to Shay. What is your sister Lynn's signature song? Um... My guess is going to be Flying Dutchman. It's hard to pull one over on these girls. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Same question to Lynn. Lynn, we asked Shay, what's her signature song? I'm going to have to go with Yes, Anastasia. I'm so sorry. The correct answer was Pandora's Aquarium. Shay, do you want to, do you have anything you want to say? I just was going to say, I put Yes Anastasia, but then I changed it to Pandora's Aquarium. She really was right. First thought, best thought. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Question number three to Lynn. What is Shay's favorite singular Tory fashion look? I'm going to have to go way back to 96 Tory, and I had to kind of narrow it down. Probably, oh, I hear the... Um, I'm going to go with <laughs> the rain benefit, Tori. Shay, would you like to reveal your answer? That's a really good one, but I chose the bodysuit and bell-bottoms look from like the early 90s. Oh my gosh, I almost said that! Uh... <laughs> question number three to Shay. We asked Lynn the same question. What is her favorite singular Tori fashion look? Okay, I hope I'm right. I think it's like the 2005 tour look. The flowy tops and all that. Lynn, would you like to reveal your answer to your sister, quote-unquote? Sure. Um, That's wrong. (laughs) 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 I'm going with the aprons. The aprons of 1998. I would have never thought that. 
Okay. <laughs> That's my favorite look. I know. I guess we just never talked about that with each other. Yeah. So we're going to have yeah. to talk more Tory not. fashion. That's the end of round one. What's the score, Tom? Well, at the end of round one, Shay has two and Lynn has one. Begging the question, have you two actually met? <laughs> oh, my God. How embarrassing. <laughs> All right, guys, bring on the next round. Round two is our lightweight lightning round. We'll ask each sister a series of questions, and you will answer them as your sister. In this round, each correct answer is worth two points. Since you're behind, Lynn, you will go first. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Is Shay team noun or team verb? Noun. Is Shay team band or team solo? Team solo. Is Shay an unrepentant Geraldine or a native invader? Native invader. Does Shay prefer piece by piece or resistance? Resistance. Is Shay team Connie or team can he? Can he. What would Shay choose between the shower or the bath? Shower. Damn, got him all right. That is 12 points for Lynn in round two. <laughs> Good job. Shay, are you ready to play? You ready to take your hand at our lightweight lightning round? Yes, I think I'm going to do well. Okay. Is Lynn team noun or team verb? Um, we definitely do not agree because she is team verb. <gasps> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Can you take out that part where I said we definitely don't agree? <laughs> That's the conflict in our show. That's the heart of our show. <laughs> Is Lynn team band or team solo? Uh, she's team band. Is Lynn an unrepentant Geraldine or a native invader? Native invader. Does Lynn prefer piece by piece or resistance? Resistance. Is Lynn team Connie or team can he bring me those jeans? Can he because that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. You no, you're right. Okay. You're right, but you're wrong on the grand scale of things. <laughs> what would Lynn choose between the shower or the bath? Shower? Well, that's 10 points for Shay. Tom, what's the score? Right. Ugh, it is close. Shay has 12, and Lynn has come away with 13. Whoa! <laughs> Lynn stole round two. <laughs> I know I know you better than you know me. It's okay. Can we address some <laughs> burning issues that are plaguing our listeners' ears at the moment? For example, one, Please. do you guys not like to luxuriate in a warm bath? Everybody <laughs> just wants to take a shower so quick. Hmm. Listen, I'm sick in and out. I don't want to sit in my own filth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sit in a bathtub. I'm too long. So, shower is fine with me. Fair enough. What about a whirlpool bath? What about like a big, long whirlpool jacuzzi tub? Oh, yeah. If I had that, I'd be in it every day. Mm, okay. I love a tub, I got to say. But, yeah, who has the time? I shower these days. Who has the time in this quarantine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the final round. This round consists of one question and one question only, but it is worth five points. So anyone can win. Lynn, complete this sentence as your sister. We both know it was a girl back in blank. I'm going to go with Bethlehem. I'm so sorry. The correct answer um. was Bentley Helms. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, not only did Shay get it right. It's too good. It's just too good not to include. She needs to rewrite the whole song and just write she it with does. Me home. Live. Um, we do have one final question for Shay, though. Shay, your sister struggled to choose her favorite Tory fashion look for this game. She ended up selecting 98 aprons, but what was her other runner-up choice? The 2005 look. (laughs) (laughs) The one I mentioned Uh, earlier. Is that it? Unfortunately, that is incorrect. The correct answer was the happiness is a warm gun cover of Strange Little Girls. That is very specific. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> that. Tom, do we have a winner? We do. Our winner is Lynn with 13 Touches 12. Lynn, congratulations. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know my sister so well. <laughs> like we said, you win clout. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This was really fun. I want to do this again. Yeah. Shay, do you have anything you want to say to, about your performance? <laughs> I really thought I was going to do better, but congratulations, Lindley. You know me so well. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in for another exciting episode of Bring Your Sister If You Can Handle It. I guess we determined that Lynn can handle it, and Shay will need to cut it again. Ugh, I am shocked to say that I guess Shay is a sister bad man good one tom tune in next week for another thrilling episode of our home makeover show god who painted that Mm, i feel this house just isn't done bye girls bye bye Bye, ladies thank you back david we sure are i was really inspired by what you said earlier about the 70s about watching a a ton of game shows no whammies no whammies no whammies stop so we just played a little bit from our favorite game show (laughs) if you can handle it oh i couldn't even it was canceled in the pilot oh (laughs) (laughs) all right david i'm gonna ask you the million dollar question all right lay it on me who would you cast to play She's Your Cocaine in the film version I'm directing of From the Choir Girl Hotel? Uh, I love visiting the Choir Girl Talent Agency. My choice for this song is another dream within a dream. Before you speak, can I say, we are casting She's Your Cocaine. We're not casting the woman of which she sings. Is that right? Is that how we're looking at it? No. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm sticking with my answer anyway. I don't care. I choose my choice. I am casting Helena Bonham Carter as Marla from Fight Club, though, as she's your cocaine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm, I love how diplomatic you are. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why. I think she has that kind of late 90s grunge sensibility, particularly in that movie. I think she's slyly manipulative and likes to exploit both her own pain and the pain of others. So it just makes sense to me. I get it. I love exploiting the pain of others. I know. <laughs> well, on that note, exploit my pain. Go. Well, when I first thought about it, I thought about casting Juliette Lewis and then I realized I hate Juliette Lewis. But the reason I was going to cast her is because I was casting her as the woman that we're singing about. And that's why I made that distinction earlier. Ultimately, I'm not casting Juliette Lewis. I don't care if she begs. <laughs> I love your many celebrity grudges against people that you've never met. Thank you. Most people think they're crazy. <laughs> I love that you hate Juliette Lewis so much that you just bothered to call her up to tell her she didn't get the job. <laughs> I would. I would make that phone call. You didn't even know you were in the running for it, but guess what? You didn't get it. Bye, bitch. You didn't get it. So for this role, I'm casting one of my favorite musicians in her debut film role. I'm casting Macy Rodman. I don't know if she's an actress, but I think she'd be amazing. That's a good choice. She looks great with a smudgy, smoky eye. Oh, she does. Yeah. You know she's your cocaine needs a smudgy eye. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Well, we're now in the live section. Isn't that exciting? It sure is, particularly for this song, because I think most of us consider the live version the ultimate expression of this song because of the ending, which is so different than the studio version. She's Your Cocaine has been performed live and on stage a total of 84 times in concert, mm. plus one time in like a promo appearance. 84 times total in concert, but one time on K-Rock Breakfast. Mm, I have a feeling that this live section is going to be very front-loaded. We're here to guide you through our favorite 14 performances of She's Your Cocaine. Are you ready, David? I am hand-picked with care. I've listened to every cocaine. Mm. I've done every cocaine imaginable. You've done all the cocaine and lived to tell. The first one we're going to play is the first one she played. And I thought, how synchronistic. 4 April mm. 18th, 1998 in Fort Lauderdale. And the very first show of the Sneak Peek Club Tour. Here she is. And it was the first song of Encore 1. Maybe this is the one song with which she can manage to drown out that audience because they were loud. <laughs> What did you think of the song coming right out of the gate? I love that she cemented its position at the very first show because throughout the tour, it was always the first song in the first encore. Very rare, well, very rarely was played elsewhere. It was, but it, that's usually where it was paired with Swirl. Right. Throughout the whole Sneak Peek tour, she played it. It was the first song in the first encore always without mm. fail. And then when she went on the European tour, she freed it up a little to go in the main set. And then she played with it a lot in like the second half. And then it ended up back at the first encore, first song. Yes. Or Strange enough as the second song of the show which that's where i prefer it why is that 
because it's just like, all right, we're going to be messy. We're going to rock and roll. Like, let's do it. And she just starts it from the beginning. I prefer early in the set, too, myself. You do? How come? Nothing to do with the song specifically, but I think encores should be reserved for older material. (laughs) You are a classicist if I've ever known one. I sure am. Especially on the sneak preview tour, you're going to play a song most of the fans have never heard before as an encore. I don't know. I understand why it's in the encore. It's like, look at us rock harder than we've ever rocked. And (laughs) we're really keeping them pumped. (laughs) Because this is her hardest rock song. I thought we said Cruel was her hardest song. This is different. This is like glam rock. Mm. This is like cock rock. Okay. This is where you really hike up your cargo pants and reveal those purple heels. And you're like, yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. This is Tori performing the song on Breakfast with Tori at K-Rock, K-R-O-Q, May 7th, 1998. Bring your sister, bring your sister, you can handle it. Bring your sister, bring your sister, you can I think you would have to be on coke to perform this song at seven o'clock in the morning. Can you imagine waking up like your alarm goes off and you turn on K Rock and you're met with this? And it's like, I'm up. <laughs> this is the first time I ever heard the song. This is from the first bootleg I had. This is from Hamburg, Germany, June 11th, 1998. And this is the first time she ever played it in the second spot. And maybe that's why I prefer it because it's just like, that was my first plugged bootleg. So I was like, oh my God, this is where it belongs. Mm. And I've selected this specific section, David, because of the intricate and amazing guitar work. It is just mwah, chef's kiss. Bring your sister. Bring your sister Devils and dupe like you Something safe for the picture fright And is it true That devils and dupe like you So tired of you don't know how She came a She's your cocaine She's got you shaving This is June 23rd, 1998 in Frankfurt. This is the first time she had it closing the show. Imagine ending with that. The final song of the show, not just the main set, the but the very last song. Final song. Wow. The final song. Shake, 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 shake,
She'll try anything in Germany. She really will. For my money, this is the first time Tori Miss really goes off during this se- the end section. How can that be? Prior to this, she was just kind of like, it was just very true to the album. It was like, uh, 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 oh. Uh. It was just like a lot of owls. Ow, ow. <laughs> anyway, moving on. This is the first American performance we're going to play of She's Your Cocaine. This is July 23rd, 1998 in Detroit. And she actually gets in some words at the end, not just incessant moans. Do you think she was kind of starting to work Pip's rants? She was workshopping them. Nine years in the future. She puts the time in. I'll give her that. This is July 28, 1998, when she played Madison Square Garden in New York City. David, are you ready for this interesting fact? I'm, I love an interesting fact. Lay it on me. August 6th, 1998, she performed in Canadaigua, New York. And this is the first time she performed it with the Black Sabbath, the little bit of Sweet Leaf. Let's play that first. Let's play Sweet Leaf proper. And it's such a fucking good song. <laughs> Right there, she put into the She's Your Cocaine. This is the first time in Canadaigua. But the interesting thing isn't that she did that, which is interesting in itself, but that she did this in Canadaigua on August 6th and continued to play She's Your Cocaine, but didn't do the Sweet Leaf part again until Seattle. Which would, would have been what, September? Over a month later. Hmm. So it's just strange because she did it a lot in that month without the Sweet Leaf Bridge. It's just as interesting that they worked it up for that Canadaigua performance and then didn't do it again for a month. And once they did it again, they did it at every show after that. Yeah, that's my memory too, that once it showed up, it was kind of part of that song for the rest of the tour. Mandela effect. Yeah, for sure. So here's the first time with Sweet Leaf, August 6, 1998 in Canadaigua.
This is a review of the Eugene show from The Dent. Do you want to read this with me, David? I do, and I was there. Interesting. This is from Wayan, who writes about the meet and greet that day. Tori, do you remember yesterday how I asked you for Muhammad? Yes. Ugh. Are you asking for that again? Well, that depends. Would Tallulah be more reasonable? Let me just write that on my hand. Much more reasonable, honey. Well, then I'd love to hear Tallulah. I also asked Tori if she was playing Black Sabbath during She's Your Cocaine, and she informed me that yes, she was, and that it was Matt's idea. So I'm glad she's taking Matt's feedback. (laughs) Yes. Suggestions, comments, concerns. Perhaps he always wanted to drum for Black Sabbath, and this is (laughs) as close as he could get. Maybe. This song is enabling them all to live out all their rock star fantasies, I guess. Big rock. Rock. Speaking of reviews, here is a review from August 8th, 1998 in Washington, D.C. Posted to the Dent by Sailor Moons, August 8th, 1998. Okay, so by this point in the show, I was very sore at the cooling girl who screamed out and broke Tori's concentration. So I committed a sin. I screamed out something in the middle of the song. I was so ashamed of myself after it, but no one heard me, I don't think. Anyway, what did I do? Well, when Tori went, she's your cocaine the second time, I screamed out, no, you are. The band drowned out my voice, so I hope I didn't bother anyone. But if I did, I'm so, so sorry. I'm actually incredibly upset at myself for doing it, but the cooling girl really pissed me off. Oh well, no excuse. I'm sorry. Here's an interesting performance. I guess, according to Matt Page, whose reviews are archived on The Dent forever, ever, he said that Tori was having keyboard troubles on August 21st, 1998, the Fort Lauderdale show. So after a particularly evil waitress, she came back and did She's Your Cocaine, mostly on the piano without the Kurtzweil. So here's the bridge without the Kurtzweil. <laughs> Just piano. Mm. Evil. That was the waitress. I know, but she was still lasting hers evil. I forgot to say what I feel about lasting mine evil. Is like, I don't even think she knows what it means. Because a lot of times throughout the 98 tour, she accidentally says lasting mine easel. And I'm taking my evil (laughs) and I'm writing good checks. So she's as confused as we are. It's a tongue twister. You're right. (laughs) Can you imagine? It sucks to last mine evil, but it sucks even more to last mine easel. I still hear blasting mine evil. 
which I think makes a little bit more sense. Blasting mine evil? Yeah. How does that make more you sense? Like blast your evil all over someone's face. That's how I do it. So I really particularly enjoyed She's Your Cocaine, the rants, the profanity-laced rants. And yes. I can only imagine as I went through them, as I went through them all to try to find out like the angriest ones, I was like, what is it going to be like when we do the Strong Black Vine episode? And I'm like, she says motherfucker many more times in this one than she does in the other ones. So let's play that. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? I'll be shocked. Yes. I feel like she was just testing the waters at this point. Very brief spouting off of expletives at the end, and it was over before you knew it. And once she, like, she got a rise out of the crowd, she was like, ooh, they love this. Ooh, we'll do this again. Let's do this again in 11 years. They love when I say fuck words. This is actually my favorite. Me and Shaggy have actually had this discussion before years. This is a fight between us. It was in a gay so bar, right? My, well, yeah. Were you there? No, but I've heard. Everyone's uh, talking about uh, it. <laughs> This is my favorite. This is New Orleans, October 10th, 1998, when she says, take it out and fuck yourself. If you're going to fuck yourself, shouldn't you leave it in? I reach my cosmic power when I hear that version. And here's my take on the lyrics. Shh, 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 shame. I said, boys, I, I have none. Shh, 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 shame. I don't need it from you. Shh, 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 shame. Take it out and fuck yourself. Let's listen again. And this is Shaggy's favorite and my second favorite. This is Akron, Ohio, November 28th, 1998. Everything's better in Akron. That was a great show. It was an amazing show, right? Yes. We need the full bootleg. One of the best. This is where she says, shame fucked out on me a long time ago. But she would always say that. But this is the clearest one that we have. Roll it, Ollie.
profane. Oh, it sure, it sure is. So those are the 98 ones we wanted to play. Those are good. She performed it a bunch of times. She performed it 69 times in 98. By design. Then she would never perform it again until 2007 when she would perform it 12 times on that tour, but not until the... She wouldn't even bring it out until towards the end of the tour. And this is October 27th, 2007 in Detroit. This is the first time she performed it, that tour. Something about Detroit really unlocks her inner cocaine rage, I guess. Yeah. What do you think of this performance? Or what do you think of the 2007 cocaine? This was a Santa song. Is that true? That's true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sounds right to me. Definitely leads me to believe that this song has to live with the band. It took such a long time off. So do we think that Santa is the aspect of Tori that she most sort of aligns with her 98 self? Maybe because Santa got all the good songs. She got this one. She got Swirl, the sexy song. Yeah, she initially got Cruel before she loaned it to Pip. The Pip stolen, didn't, yeah. wouldn't give it back. Yeah, but she had most of the Choir Girl songs. So I feel like that was Tori accessing her sexy rock chick. Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. In 2007, this song, I felt like it was a little clipped. She didn't, it had gotten to a certain point. She had added another bridge, the Sweet Leaf Bridge. So she was doing three bridges, right? And in this 07 version, she cut one of the original bridges and only did the one bridge. Is it true that devils end up like you? That bridge. She didn't ever, again, this tour do, if you want me to, boy, I could lie to you. How could she possibly resist the urge to say you don't need one of these and grab her crotch as Santa? Her mistake. And the ending, you know, obviously she'd reached a certain peak in 98 with take it out and fuck yourself. She wasn't going to go back there, but it kind of resembled the album again. But one time she improved a little bit. And here it is. This is Dallas, November 24th, She would perform it 12 times in 2007 and two times in 2009. One of those times, Basel, Switzerland, September 13th. That seems to be lost to time. But we do have August 17th, 2009 in Boston when she came out as Santa... Santa resurrected herself for one final show. This was really as shocking as Santa Claus showing up in August for no reason. This is Mrs. Claus. Yes. Mrs. Santa.
What does that say, though, that she has to put on the clothes to access the song? Or maybe she's just having fun. I don't want to read too much into it. I don't think we can ever read too much into it when it comes to Tori, though. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a deep ocean. Yes, for sure. But I kind of understand that. I really think she associates certain songs with a specific time in her life that she just doesn't feel a connection to at all. So to go to that place, Mm -hmm. she has to slip into character. So, you know. Yeah, I get that. I Mm -hmm. I totally get that. This is the last time she would perform She's Your Cocaine to date. This is Sydney, Australia, November 20th, 2014 on the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour. And this was the all request show. So someone requested this song. And they got it. And they got it. This is the only time she's ever done it solo, by the way. this is potentially the last time that song will ever be performed i hope not but yes probably probably this one stick a fork in it she's done Mm. Mm, that's good cocaine (laughs) (laughs) Mm, that is good cocaine (laughs) Mm. well she's done and we're done to the chalked up mix of She's Your Cocaine. I don't know who did this, but you can find it on our website, songstoryamiss.com, on our remix archive right at the top of the page. Well, we're done, David. We sure are. We done did it. And it was done to me. Are we the last ones to leave the party? First to arrive, last to leave. (laughs) Then we get stuck cleaning up. Oh, that's true. We gotta clean up this mess. Lines everywhere. God. Mirrors, dollar bills. What a night, though. Remember that time Marilyn Manson and Trent Reznor had sex? (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. And perhaps only. (laughs) Only here. There was a time where I was super into Marilyn Manson. Oh, me too. Like, yeah. I was really, really, like, Antichrist superstar, like that portrait of an American family, that whole era. I was very much into him, and I was very hot for him. You were hot for him? I was a disciple. I was. I was a disciple of Manson. Oh, my goodness. I really liked Marilyn Manson, too, particularly Antichrist era, just as a musician and an artist. I wouldn't say I was hot for him. I had long black hair. I wore eyeliner and nail polish. You asked me if I was hot for him. 
Well, sorry about that, folks. If you like what we do other than what you just heard, please head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos and become a supporter today. We have several different podcasts at several different levels to entertain you for years to come. If you really want to hear more from us, you can head over to our social media pages. We are at songs of Tori Amos on across all platforms, including Instagram, Twitter, and Mother Russia's main marketing tool, Facebook. You can head over to our website, songsoftreyamus.com, where you can find our remix archive. You can sign up for our newsletter. We don't spam you. Sign up for it. And you can call our voicemail, 323-296-9955, and leave us a message about your favorite song. Or if you and your sister want to resurrect, bring your shaster if you can handle it. Handle it. I'm exhausted, David. I I know. I need a bump and a nap. Do you need a lad? Possibly. How do you feel about this episode? Should we cut it again? Could you imagine? We spent all day recording this. We had to cut it again. Cut it again. We didn't actually talk about that part. What do you think she... I mean, like, obviously, it's like a playful moment from the studio, right? Yeah. I always picture her still in character wearing that bodysuit, like a little tipsy, and she's like, "Mm, cut it again. Like, I got another one in me, boys. (laughs) Get it while the getting's good. The artist is on fire today. Well, should we cut it again, David? Why not? All right. The song's so nice, we cut it twice. Bye, everyone. I guess we'll see you soon with this exact same episode. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.